ready or not, here I come, you can't hide, gonna find you and take it slowly, ready or not, here I come, you can't hide, gonna find you and make you yeah. one. Now that I escape, sleep, walk away. Yeah. Those who correlate know the world they kick. Jail bars ain't golden gates. Those who fake, they break. When they meet their 400 pound mate, if I could rule the world, everyone would have a gun in the ghetto, of course. We get the up and on their horse. Kick around, drink and moonshine. I pour a sip on the concrete for the deceased, but no, don't weep. Why Clef's in a state of sleep, thinking about the robbery that I did last week. Money in the bag, banker look like a drag. I wanna play with Pelicans from here to Baghdad. Gun blast, think fast, I think I'm hit. My girl pinched my hips to see if I still exist. I think not, I'll send a letter to my friends. A born again hooligan, only to be king again. Ready or not, here I come, you can't hide. Gonna find you and take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the All-American Chelsea Podcast. I am the captain, the leader, the legend of all things you see. All-American Chelsea, what's going on with you? It's your boy coming back again to you live from beautiful Miami, Florida, in the good old U.S. of A. And we're back from the international break. Um, I usually use the international breaks. Um to kind of get like like a breathing or like a breather, you know what I'm saying, from doing the podcast and all that. And I feel like it's good, you know, to take little breaks from time to time. But now that pff, shit, our international breaks are over. I mean, yeah. No, we got one more, right? It's one more in January sometime, do we? I always feel like right after Boxing Day. Let me stop talking shit. Let me look here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this match, the schedule right now. Hold on. Fixtures. December 30th, 2nd, 12. And I was talking out of my ass once again. Now, it looks like we don't have any or Chelsea doesn't have any international breaks for a minute. I think this was the last one. Yeah. I think this was the last one. No, I see 10 days in January. Yeah, there's 10 days in January. Another, yeah. There's January 2nd to the 12th. There's 10 days in between there. And then the 19th to the 29th in January. See, I knew I wasn't talking out of my ass. No, and then there's another international break or a break of some sort in February. Damn near the whole month of February, we have no games. The 9th through the 23rd. So, no, that, that gap is too big. I won't be able to. I'll, there's no way in February I'll take that long. But whatever, whatever. Enough with the bullshit. So what's going on, everyone? It's been a minute. Um, Not much has changed, though. Like, you know, I, I had a little bit of a cold. My son. First, so here how how it went. So I got sick because somebody at work got me sick. Then... I gave that to my son. Then he gave it to my wife. And then now my son is still, he's 
coming out of it. It's just, and again, it's not like, uh, like the flu or anything. It's just like head cold. So sinus issues and all that. I've already told you guys a thousand times on the show about my sinus issues. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So I've told you a thousand times on the show about my sinus issues. And then I didn't have, I was cool. Like once I got over it, no problem. Was it like three days ago? My son, he was jumping up and down and he turned and I was looking at him and he coughed directly into my face. It was an accident. It wasn't like he was doing it on purpose or playing a game. It was just like he had to cough and he just so happened to turn directly at me and he blasted me full clip right into the face. So now I was like, you God damn it. You got to be kidding me. Just after I got over this shit and I got it again, um, not as bad, not as bad, but like, I don't know if you could hear it in my voice. My voice might sound a little weird. I mean, it's early in the morning. I'm recording this, uh, part of the podcast super early in the morning, my time. So my voice is still hasn't warmed up yet. Um, but what else, man? Like what else? What else? Uh, we got a big game this weekend. We got a big game this weekend. Big in the sense of that we're playing United and any game versus United is massive. But also what it could mean for Jose Mourinho. There's a lot of lines going into this game. Um, coming back of the international break. How the boys are going to play together. We came off the international break and nobody was seriously hurt. I don't think, I mean, today is Thursday, so tomorrow we'll get the press conferences. We'll find out for sure if there's anybody that's not going to play on Saturday. But, like, from the outside, I haven't heard anything. I think Kovacic was the only one that he got a little bit of an injury in his game against England, but it wasn't anything serious. You know, at least it doesn't appear to be anything serious. So we should, all the boys should be good to go for Saturday. But uh, it's a big game. It's a big game. And now reports are coming out that Mourinho might be sacked before, if if they lose against us, Mourinho's going to be sacked. And he won't even get a chance to manage against United. Uh, What else? There's like so many reports. Shit started coming out yesterday that Hazard's ready to sign a new deal for three hundred something thousand a week, um, and even good, even better news that Real Madrid has contacted Conte to take over, uh, over there. So a lot of good things going up. If Conte goes over there first, the snake gets fucked with Conte. Perfect, fuck the snake. Then second, it might permanently seal the door for Hazard going to Real Madrid. Um, so it's a lot of good shit. Lots of good shit. So this week's guest, I brought back um, my homie, your homie, our homie, uh, Daniel. You know him online, on Twitter, as Forward Thinking. Uh, and we had a great conversation. I, but I will warn you, the first 20-something minutes is UFC talk. I, I as you guys know, I I'm a UFC fan. If you go on my Twitter timeline, I've talked on this podcast as well. Um 
I'm a huge UFC fan. So Daniel is as well. So we for the first like 20 something minutes for the off podcast, we kind of get into UFC talk. We talk about UFC 229, Conor McGregor, Khabib, uh, which you you guys will hear my thoughts um, on that. And you'll hear Daniel's thoughts. And then we jump into Chelsea for the rest of the podcast. And it's a good conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, Daniel always has excellent perspective, excellent insights, um, and we we have a good vibe. And he's he's now the second person. He's the second person to be on the show twice. Louis from 100% Chelsea. He's the first to be on twice. But I didn't. I don't know why I didn't like I didn't uh, register that the second time I spoke to him. I don't. I don't know why. Or maybe I did. And I said it or I didn't say it. I don't know. But I, I for sure have that feeling that I didn't register it. But whatever. It is what it is. So without further delay, here's the homie Daniel and our conversation. So I'll talk to you guys after uh, the podcast. Here we go. Okay, everybody. What's going on? We're with the homie. I, should, do I use your government on the podcast or no? Sure, we're going for the okay, everyone. You might know him as forward thinking, that's his alias. But truth be told, only a select group of people, very small group of people, get to know him by his government issued name, by his God given name. And that is my brother, your friend, our member of the family, Daniel. What's happening, homie? What's up, man? It's obviously a good time to be on the, obviously one of the fastest growing podcasts out there. Um, looks like we're going to have a few more million people knowing my government name, but hey, it's good of you. It's good of me. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, you, you are also, I mean, thank you for, for stating the fact that the All-American Chelsea podcast is the fastest growing American Chelsea podcast uh, on, on planet Earth. Um, I mean... Uh, that's 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 what I uh, that's what I've been told. Steve Cook um, emailed me himself on behalf of iTunes. And he was like, "Look, my man, I, I, I've never seen numbers like these before. You, you you have the fastest growing podcast I've ever seen. No no podcast is faster growing than yours." And I was like, "Thank you, thank you. I mean, what are we gonna do? This is this is you know when I have my family behind me, anything is possible." So. Thank you for, uh, you know, we had to break the news to the to everybody on the podcast. And then, he, uh, Daniel, you are the first re... No, I'm sorry. You're not the first reoccurring guest. Louis from 100% Chelsea was my first reoccurring guest. You're the second. You're the second. Hey, second's good. Second's yeah. good. You're in rarefied air, man. Rarefied air. This is an exclusive club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Daniel... Um, for, we haven't caught up in a long time, my man. First, what the aftermath of? Uh, I, I think everybody's still experiencing the aftermath of UFC 229. Talk to me, my man. What? What? Give me. Share me. You know. Share with me some of your thoughts. How are you feeling? What? We're almost about to be two weeks removed from the event. How? How are you feeling? Have you gotten over it? Have you? Are you able to? To. Uh, you know, start looking forward to a new event. Or are you still dealing with a hangover here? Well, so um, I'm kind of happy I'm on the, the podcast two weeks later. So I've been able to 
to kind of gather my thoughts and articulate them into words because I mean for the first like week or so I was just saying wow wow and wow because quite a lot was there to be digested I mean first of all obviously the amazing card and the amazing fights that happened there was of course a Derek Lewis comeback of the what well, maybe last 20 second knockout of Volkov after he was getting his ass for the entire that was crazy then obviously there was the co-main event which is one of the best fights of the year between Tony Ferguson and Pettis so I mean that was an amazing fight and then of course there was the main event and then there was kind of the after main event with Brawl, but <laughs> the after I mean, party. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was one hell of an after party. I mean, but even just scaling back to the actual main event itself, I mean, it's almost getting a little bit lost. First of all, just how amazing the performance it was from Khabib, and just the fact that it was actually a really entertaining fight. I mean, we all knew what kind of what to expect, and we kind of got what we did expect, especially if you saw it from the Khabib side of things. And I thought it was a great fight. Um, it went kind of how I expected it to go, but how I didn't want it to go, as I am a McGregor fan just like yourself, and uh, a little disappointed to see our guy go out like that. But I mean, hey, that's the that's the nature of the fighting business, and um, yeah, it's a great night of fights, and yeah, I'm looking forward to obviously two thirty as well. So I mean, it's just a great time to be a UFC fan, a fan of uh, fighting in general, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a crazy night of fights, man, crazy night of fights. Yeah, the whole card. I mean, I can't did. Did any car? Did any fight go to decision? I think it was Sergio Pettis's fight was the only fight that went to decision. Was there <laughs> one? Funny thing about that fight. Funny thing about that fight. Obviously, as you know, in the UK, uh, staying up to watch these fights is, is pretty hard, and you need a lot of adrenaline going into it, and uh, a couple cups of coffee as well. And I got to that fight with Pettis and Formiga, and it wasn't the greatest fight going into the third round, but it, it was manageable. It was whatever. Right, and obviously I'm a big fan of the Pettis brothers as well. I'm a big fan of what they've done in the UFC. And the fact that even Sergio Pettis is actually on a come-up and he could be getting a title shot soon. And then that third round hit me. And that third round was, God, honestly, one of the worst rounds of, of fighting I've ever seen in my life. And the thing is, I didn't even get to finish seeing the fight, that fight, because I fell asleep. Oh my I fell God. asleep, missed the Watson-Herrick fight, and then missed the Derek Lewis-Volkov fight live. And then, I, and then, I mean, thank God I even managed to wake up during the OSP Reyes fight. Thank God I managed to wake up and I just but I wake up and all I hear is everyone tweeting me and everyone messaging me saying, Oh my god, Lewis knocked him out. I'm like, wait, oh swear, I have to sleep. And then I went for Amiga. I mean, basically, long story short, he's on my he's on my shit list. So uh yeah, I don't fuck with Juicy or Formiga anymore. But I mean, not better than that, no. I mean, very few fights went to a decision. Even the ones that went to decision were, were great fights in general. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it was just an awesome night of fights. Yeah, I know it was a great night of fights. For me, like but going with the Pettis brothers real quick. I remember the first time, um, no, it wasn't the first time. I had seen um, Anthony Pettis, Sergio Pettis is Anthony Pettis' uh, little brother. But the first time I saw Sergio Pettis, I feel this guy has grown up right in front of my eyes. Because the first time I saw Sergio was in the MTV show World of Jenks, where Jenks, Andrew Jenks, followed uh, Anthony Pettis when he was in the WBC, like when he was coming up. And Anthony Pettis, if I'm not mistaken, went to Sergio's Taekwondo class. And he was a kid. When I'm talking about, like, not like, oh, he's 15, 16. I'm talking about, like, he was 9, 8 years old type of kid like that, right around that age. And so I felt like he's grown up right in front of my eyes. But overall, man, 229 was amazing. Uh, the Derek Lewis, it's funny that you mentioned the Derek Lewis fight. So, um... I was watching the fight and my, I was streaming it through my phone onto the thing. I, I pay for all my uh, UFCs, just putting it out there. I, I pay for all of them. So I was streaming it from my phone. I was sending, uh, I, I was sending the pay-per-view from my phone to my TV 
and my Chromecast, for whatever reason, decided to update at that moment in time and or it knocked out whatever the case may be my chromecast knocked out for a second so as it's restarting i missed the last 45 seconds something like that of the Derek lewis fight well leading up to the knockout so it starts up and i see Derek lewis start stalking him i'm like okay here we go here we go and boom so for me that like that minute leading up to the knockout was full of adrenaline because I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. What the fuck? <clears throat> Excuse me. And boom, the fight, the, 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 uh, I, I get it right before the knockout. So I was happy as hell. Um, we had, man, it, you, you brought up, well, the OSP fight, like I, I already, like I, we've spoken before, the uh, OSP, like, I'm starting to feel like he once he fought John Jones and he realized like that's the mountaintop and he can't go any high like he can't beat John Jones like I feel like he's settled in to the idea that he's a gatekeeper and I, I just feel like I see that in his fight style like the man is super athletic and he just I don't see any growth from him I don't I don't see I just see like yeah this guy looks like a top 10 middleweight in the world and don't take no i'm not talking shit about him no doubt about it to be a top 10 middleweight osp is a bad motherfucker but to me i i feel like he could do more and it kind of like damn like homie like i i, I think you could do more and you you don't want you don't think you can do more. You know what I'm saying? Like, OSP, I feel like, doesn't believe he could do more. He doesn't believe he can be champion. And so, like, when he, I mean, when he lost, it was like, yeah, I, I kind of assumed that. Then you're right. The Pettis, the Anthony Pettis and Tony Ferguson fight was crazy. Pettis cracks. He cacked. He caught, uh, uh, he Caught Tony Ferguson and the way Tony Ferguson recovered. He, that man is so weird. He is so weird. He is so <laughs> awkward. And even the way he recovered was weird and awkward. He's rolling around on the floor. So, but uh, I don't know, dude. The, I think before and before I get to my share my thoughts on Connor, I think Ferguson's the dude to beat Khabib. I really believe so. Ooh, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I believe he's the man. Look, he's the man to do it. I mean, and I don't. There's not much reason to disagree with that. I mean, if you look at eleven fight win streak, I mean, you look at some of the names he's beaten. I mean, just obviously Anthony Pettis now, former champion, Kevin Lee, former title champ, uh, title challenger, Rafael mm -hmm. Stoltz, and Joseph, and that was in a, in a, I believe, in a New Mexico. So that was obviously in the altitude, uh, mm -hmm. and he beat him with a five round spree comfortably after the first round. So I mean, he's got amazing victories. He's on an amazing streak, and you have to think this was off. This was off of uh, no sparring, hardly any real proper training camp. Because this is most about this is mainly more about his re rehabilitation, obviously after the mm -hmm. leg injury at UFC two two uh, two twenty three, where he obviously got came off the card. So um, yeah, I mean it's just an incredible comeback. The fact that he's able to come back in such a short period of time from against such a dangerous injury, which he had, which is something similar that Dominic Cruz has suffered with, and you've seen how long he's been out of injuries. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I mean it's just impressive that he's able to come back, put in such a performance like he did against someone like Pettersand. And for me, the thing that stands out to me from this fight, which I think a lot of people kind of missed, is when he did get rocked by that first punch from uh, the first knockdown from Pettis, 
He, I mean, after before doing like about twenty front flips in a row, <laughs> the first time he spun around, the first time he spun around, catch it. The first time he spun around, he actually I thought he was out completely out. Deeply, yeah. That's when he spun around and caught him with an elbow, which sliced up Pettis. So then when mm-hmm. he went back onto the floor, that's when Pettis was bleeding completely. And once eventually they stood back up and he kind of caught his breath. And I think even the stoppage helped him for a bit. That the fact that they went to go yeah. clear the blood out of uh, Pettis eyes and obviously Tony helped him kind of just calm down for a bit and say like, you know what? Okay, I've had my fun. Let me get back down to work. He walked him down to the fence and started cutting up with even more elbows, punching him up. And I mean, after that, we all know Te- um, po- Pettis also has problem with his hands, similar to Mayweather, the fact that he does have kind of brittle hands and they do tend to break, as we saw in the, May- um, the Max Holloway fight. But I mean, other than that, I think he was kind of broken down mentally and even physically yeah. to that point. I mean, the amount of punishment he took going into the end of that round was, was savage. And yeah, to your point of whether he is the guy to beat Habib, I mean, I would love to see what happens if he does cut Khabib because we haven't seen Khabib hardly take any damage. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into the main mm-hmm. event, but we hardly see him take any kind of damage in terms of any cuts or any bruises. We see him get caught with one right hand from Michael Johnson. That's pretty much it. But if, you know, if I would have to say if who I think is the guy to beat Khabib, I'd probably have to say it's Tyron Woodley. And I know I'm going up one weight class, but I feel that's what it takes to beat someone like Khabib because especially after what I saw on 229 main event, what I saw him do against McGregor, a little bit special to beat him and I just don't think Tony has that something special I I, you know I know exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about Tony like when you look at him what does he do that's special like what does he do that you say like that's an excellent level athlete right there I don't see it I don't see it but it I mean the man the man is a next level athlete for him to go on 11 and 0 run in the UFC fighting the guys he's fought um, he is a special guy, and I, I, I don't know. Like I, I honestly, I don't know what beats Khabib. I, I don't know what beats him. I, I don't know who beats him. But I do. I, I think it's Tony. But I do think when it comes to one fifty five, we probably have a situation where Khabib beats Connor every time. Connor beats. Tony every time and Tony can beat Khabib most of the time so we have three guys that could legitimately beat the other but can't beat you know somebody else we might have that we might have that situation because I don't see anybody else at 55 that could touch I mean with the exception of maybe Kevin Lee you could toss Kevin Lee in there mm-hmm. As, as somebody that can do something at 55, but I don't see anybody else getting on this guy, on these on these threes level at 55. I don't, I mean, is there anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to that division, there's, I mean, it's definitely the most stacked division in the UFC and there's a lot of top guys there, but I feel like there's the, that, there's that three, which I mean, I guess you can call them the Holy Trinity, and then there's kind of almost everybody else, and I feel like you've got Kevin Lee knocking on that door. I mean, it was interesting, this fight with Tony Ferguson. I mean, that was a back-and-forth fight. Mm-hmm. Of course, he had a staff infection, so it certainly affected his cardio, which I would have thought is actually one of his big weaknesses when you look at someone like that athletic weight classes. But his cardio helping him most of his fights. You know, against Barboza, he held up really well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's someone who could definitely challenge at the top of that division. Someone else who's probably the sleeper of the division, not Nate Diaz. Fuck Nate Diaz. We'll get onto that maybe a little bit later. The sleep of the division is Dustin Poirier. He's on an amazing win streak. He's actually come back from getting knocked out officially by Connor, made a little run back to the top, then got knocked back down again by Michael Johnson. Johnson. Took his soul in that fight. Took his soul in that fight. But he came back again. And, you know, he's looking at 
I mean, it was a shame that his fight got cancelled, but he's looking like he could potentially have something for those guys up in the top of the division. So, I mean, it's interesting just to see what happens I mean, moving forward of that division. It's it's a crazy time. I mean, it's, again, it's a great time to be a it's UFC a fan time. in terms of that division. It's it's definitely the most on fire division in the whole UFC. It's a great time, and I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, Dustin looked great against Justin Gaethje, um, but Eddie Alvarez and shout out to Eddie Alvarez going to One FC to get his money. He's done that man is a legend. He's done it all. He's been to he's been a champion at everywhere he's went. I think he's gotten the belt every single organization he's fought in. I don't That's why they call him the Underground King. The, he he is the Underground King. Fought in Bellator, champion in Bellator. Fought in the UFC champion in the UFC. Fought in what was the other organization? He fought in another or underground organization was the champ there in China. Maybe it was Ryzen or something like that. One of those um, I think they had a white cage and a white and a white fence. He fought there where I, I, I forget the organization's name, but it's also the same organization where uh, Alistair Overeem fought uh, the juggernaut and he threw a flying knee and he almost went out of the cage. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he almost God, literally flew out of the cage. I th- I'm almost positive to- uh, that uh, Eddie Alvarez fought there. So I, yeah, mean, I believe that was Dream. Dream. Eddie Alvarez fought in Dream. 100. percent Eddie Alvarez fought in Dream, and he was a champion there. So the dude's been champion everywhere he went. So, but finally to uh, to wrap up UFC, you know, 229, Conor McGregor versus Khabib. So. I mean, you know, anybody that knows me knows that I've been and will always be a Conor McGregor fan. Number one, I lead the the train on uh, the on you know the Conor McGregor fan train. I lead it. I'm the conductor, so I will never get off that train. So before this fight, of course, I'm a hundred percent confident that Conor was going to get the job done. However. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I even posted in our group chat on his walkout, on his walkout. I wasn't nervous for the dude. And when my favorite fighters coming out and I'm looking at them and I'm not nervous for them, that's always a bad sign. It's always a bad sign. I even put it on the group chat. I'm like, I'm not nervous for Connor. This something bad's going to happen. I felt that way. For Robbie, when he fought Tyron Woodley, I felt that way. For Anderson, when he lost against uh, when he lost against uh, damn it, what's his name? Chris Weidman, uh, the first time I felt that way so yeah. many times from for my favorite guys. I felt that way for Bisbee when he lost against GSP. When my favorite, one of my favorite guys, one of my guys that are near and dear to my heart are going out there and I'm not nervous for them on their walkout, something's wrong. And just his whole, like, I felt like, I felt like with Connor, something was off with him. I felt like he wasn't himself. Like he was too much of a show. And Khabib couldn't be more serious for, for the event. And it was in their walkouts. Forget the fight. You could see it. It was clear as day. Their walkouts alone. Connor was, was a show to him. And, and he's a showman. That's who he is. 
but there's just something sometimes when you compare it to when he walked out for Eddie Alvarez. The man was focused as a laser. And he cracks that little smile. And you know, like once I see that, I I can I'm like, all right, we're good. But I something was up like with him. And, and did you see that too? But like when you when he was walking out, did you see him? How did you see him? Better yet, I don't want to put any so, put any words. You know, how did you see Connor when he walked out? Yeah, so it was interesting with Connor, right? So I mean, when I saw, I was kind of gauging like how he came out. Or the, the entire fight. So obviously, even during fight week, it was his approach, his demeanor, and once he came into the cage and he did the whole walkout, and you obviously got Bruce Buffer um, announcing his name, and he's doing the whole walk, he's doing the whole the Billy strut and everything, and yeah, it's all showman McGregor, and it's all in character. That's what we expect from McGregor. But ultimately, and to put it into words, I feel like he came to perform as a showman rather than to fight as a competitor. He didn't really come with that that real eye of the tiger. He didn't really come with that same steel in his eyes that you saw against an Eddie Alvarez, for instance, or definitely against in the second match against Nate Diaz, he didn't come with that same fire, that same, yeah, I'm yeah. here to really fight, I'm here to go to war. And as much as he was talking about that in the, 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 the in sort of the pre-fight, he didn't really show that in his, in his approach to, in a lot of the fight, you see his mannerisms with his hands completely down, he's sort of almost taunting him in a sense that he's not really taking him that serious on the feet. And again, that's not to take away anything from his actual performance. I thought McGregor performed pretty well to an extent. Obviously, there's a few flaws which we can obviously get into, but I thought there was a few things he didn't do that great. But, I mean, his actual fighting ability once he got into the cage, I thought was good. I mean, some of his takedown defense was great. Um, yeah. In the first transition when Khabib shot straight for the legs, the fact that he was able to turn it around and not get taken around straight away, which we've seen happen to many people like, obviously, Aquinta, Barboza. No, he did actually quite well. He just missed the last transition where he almost, he actually got top control. but He almost got mount. He didn't really... Yeah, he but he didn't, he didn't reverse the position or better yet just get off and then disengage and then go back to standing. Yeah, and obviously then Khabib burnt away the first round, which is kind of which is a good round for Connor since he didn't take any damage, but it was a good round for Khabib because he's taking around Connor's most potent round where he's at his best and ultimately you go into the second round where the last round of real danger going to have from McGregor. That's at least what people say is going to be the case because we still feel McGregor's dangerous in that second round, but at the same time we I even told you before that. Khabib, hey, watch out for Khabib's hands. He's going to be a lot better on the feet than people expect. Yeah. But, I mean, even I didn't expect what he did like 20 seconds into that round where he just knocked him out with that right hand. I mean, that was crazy. So, I mean, yeah, but just going back to McGregor, um, yeah, again, I feel like he just came to perform as a showman, but not to really fight as a competitor. And I feel like that kind of shone through. And uh, maybe people were right about the hunger. Maybe he didn't come out with that same hunger. Maybe the whole brand of the whiskey being a part of the UFC, maybe that kind of took his toe in a way that we didn't really expect during the fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the man's. I mean, you know, and, and shit, he's walking around now like like he didn't lose the fight. <laughs> I, I guess, I don't know, man. I guess maybe, you know, maybe <sighs> there was talk going into this that it was Khabib that was going to beat Connor and then retire. Is it possible the way that Connor's acting that... We might never really see Connor again. No, 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 no. Let me let me dispel that right now. There is zero chance McGregor is retiring. Zero chance. Trust me, brother. He's gonna fight again. He will fight again. He's gonna honor the rematch, the trilogy with Nate Diaz, one hundred percent. He's even talked about facing potentially Anderson Silva, GSP. Those are a little bit out there. We may not quite see those, but he's definitely gonna come back and he definitely wants his rematch. That's one hundred percent sure. I, 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 you know what? I definitely see a future. 
I see a future where Connor fights maybe three more times. I see him fighting Nate for sure. I see him possibly fighting Khabib again because now there's talks that Khabib fights Tony and he's done. And if I was Khabib, I'm looking at 20, I'm looking at what, 28 and 0 if I beat Tony, I retire. I retire as the most gangster of all gangsters in the UFC uh, in the UFC ever. So if I'm Khabib, shit, I'm looking at that Tony fight. I take the Tony fight and, you know, he can get the win and move on and never fight Conor again and, and, and retire as legit. I, I, it'd be hard to deny Khabib as the GOAT at that point, as mm. a legit GOAT. Even though for me, my GOAT status, like, for me, it's always going to be and will always be Anderson Silva. Until I see somebody put other people in the matrix like Anderson Silva did time after time after time again, I'll, to me, nobody is the GOAT. Uh, and that includes John Jones. That includes uh, Daniel Cormier, what he's done, uh, Conor McGregor, you name it. Until I see people get put into the matrix like Anderson Silva did, nobody's the GOAT. I mean, just little things. One of the, the, the a lot of people, and then, and look, guys, relax, relax. We're going to talk Chelsea, I promise. But it's just not every day <laughs> that I get somebody, a guest on the show that can continue and have a, a, a meaningful UFC conversation. I get it. I get it. Relax. Relax. So one thing that I always show people about Anderson Silva that has nothing to do with the knockouts. There's one particular move that he did that till this day, nobody has done it. Till this day, and it isn't a knockout. If you go back and watch Anderson Silva fight Nate Marquardt. Nate Marquardt had so much hype. And he was doing well in that fight. But And Anderson ended up getting the victory. And, and uh, we're going to skip forward to that. Anderson Silva won that fight. But there was a move that he did in that fight that most people don't notice. And to me, that's one of his biggest highlights. Is where he hit a switch on Nate Marquardt that to this day I haven't seen anybody hit. All right. Here we go people. I need you to put your imagination goggles on. You can you know uh Google it. Anderson Silva Nate Marquardt switch, you'll be able to find it. But if you don't. So it's real quick. A switch is if somebody's coming in on a takedown, right? So you and I are standing in front of each other, right? If you go to take my which would be my right hand, my right hand leg, my right leg, right hand leg, that's so stupid, my right leg, and you try to take me down that way, you're driving all your force directly into the square of my hips, right? You're squared up with me, you're driving all your force, and you're trying to take away my right leg, so, and pushing my weight onto my right side, it, think of a table, you remove one of the legs of the table, the table will fall that way, Right? So what a switch is, what a, you see a lot of wrestlers do, what you do to prevent that, to slow it down, you reach over with your opposite hand. So if they're taking your right leg, you take your right arm, you reach over, and you, you, you square up and you stall from there. Just hit a switch. Conor McGregor did it when he reached over and he, uh, it's, the proper wrestling term is, is uh, he, he uh, 
I forget. But anyways, he reached over and he was grabbing Connor, uh, grabbing Khabib around, uh, around, um, like around his back. He was per- he was not hitting a switch, but he was doing the exact same thing. Well, Anderson Silva reached over and he hit us and he grabbed him and he hit and he was getting him ready for a switch. And what he did was he gave Nate his hip, but also he gave Nate his leg, but also he reversed the sw- the position. By hitting a switch on Nate, and he got on top of Nate, and he te- and he grounded and pounded him there. That move right there is the one that I always tell people: watch that. That's it right there. That's why he's the goat. When you do things like that, and Anderson Silva is not a wrestler, Nate Marquardt is. When you're able to do something like that against a wrestler in the middle of a fight, when you're not, you're special. Anderson Silva, right there, Nate Marquardt. Anderson Silva, switch. Do yourself a favor. Watch that specific move, and you'll know why. On top of everything else, why I consider Anderson Silva the GOAT. Mm. Damn, I mean, I feel like myself, I need to go watch that afterwards as well. <laughs> I'm going to send it but, to um, you right you now. It's a, it's, a simple, it's a simple little... It's a simple little move. It's not anything out of this world, but it's... It, it's the definition of of to me his goat status. Um, Anderson Silva Nate uh, Amar Quart. All right, switch. All right, videos. I'll find it for you, Daniel. It's there. It's always when you look. It's one of his highlights. And, oh, Mm. there it is. Found it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's generally the simple things that normally are the most effective. I mean, I remember even a few John Jones techniques where he just kind of switches you and then he essentially just throws you onto the ground with the most minimal of effort. I mean, some of his trips, I mean, back in the day, I was going to say in his prime. I mean, he's still in his prime now. But some of the things that he used to do, especially on the come up when he was coming against all these previous light heavyweight champions was just so impressive to me but it's interesting you're talking about I mean we kind of delivered from the KB conversation to the GOAT conversation and you managed to miss out one name in particular and uh, I don't know how you managed to miss him but I mean one of the greatest to ever do it at middleweight or sorry to come up and do it at middleweight um, obviously won the belt there not too far long ago we're talking about obviously the GOAT himself Michael the GOAT okay not Michael Bisping <laughs> I know, but I love Michael Bisping I just have to put him in there Michael Bisping is the GOAT he's my honorary GOAT but the real GOAT the real goat himself, George Rush Saint Pierre. Pierre. Yeah, you didn't mention his name, and it's interesting. We were just talking about Khabib, and we were talking about oh, we can fight Tony and finish twenty-eight and zero, and you know Khabib could do that. And I guess if he was in it for the money, which we both know he's not. If he was in it for the money, he could rematch Connor for uh, at least a minimum of fifteen million, maybe even go and fight Floyd Mayweather. Don't Khabib. If you're if you're listening out there, I know you're probably gonna listen to this, listen to this out there. He's listening. He's um, listening. Take it easy. Yeah, take take it easy. There's no need. You don't need to start any more fights with Connor. Just leave it all there. You know, you won the fight. It's all good. Don't fight Floyd Mayweather. Don't. Nah, you don't need you don't to need do that. All right. You don't just, need to just do, don't that. do that. If you... it's an MMA, yep. If it's an MMA, oh. <laughs> hey, I would love to see that. I would love to see Khabib talking to Mayweather and the Octagon. But we know Mayweather's not going to do that. But yeah, if you are listening to this, what you should do, Khabib, is fight GSP. That's what you should do because that's what's going to cement your legacy as yeah. the greatest of all time. Because we know GSP, we know he's been testing his weight cut down to 155 and seeing if he can get in it. And he's, he's gotten to 161, so he knows he can get pretty close to it. So 
if you can beat Tony, and I think he's going to eventually get given the rematch, I think the USA are going to force that down his throat. If he can then beat Connor again, which I believe is very possible, I do actually give Connor a chance in a rematch, but again, that's something we can talk about for another day. If he can then get past that, and he's 29 and 0, what better way to end your career by beating, arguably, in my eyes, the greatest of all time, GSP, go 30 and 0, undefeated, maybe only losing like one round to McGregor. Let's say he whitewashes both GSP and Tony Ferguson, and that would be the undisputed, unequivocal best yeah. UFC career. In fact, MMA career, maybe even all-time fighting combat sports career of all time. Yeah, no, no, no. If he if he beats Tony and then fights GSP and and manages to beat GSP and retire at thirty and zero, he's the greatest of all time. It, it, I, I don't care if he puts people inside the matrix or not. Like, he's the greatest of all time. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no denying him. There. I just sent it to you. And the switch happens in the video I sent you, four minutes and 50 seconds. Sweet. Yep. I'll be watching that straight after we finish, straight after we finish. And I, you know, I'd love Anderson Silva. I love his techniques. In terms of what we saw inside the cage, he's probably the best pure talent we saw inside the cage. But for me, greatness for me, I base greatness of your accomplishment and your achievement in, inside the, in, in the sport and what you did. And for me, as great as what he did was Anderson Silva, I look at his resume and Again, it was a great resume. He beat a lot of great champions. But I feel like GSPs and even to a degree, John Jones, you can argue, are slightly better. I mean, obviously, they didn't maybe fight past their peak as much as where he got his losses against Chris Weidman and against Michael Bisping and Daniel Cormier. But if you look at GSP, I mean, he's everybody he's faced, he's beaten. He's avenged his only two losses. Obviously, John Jones, we know he's completely undefeated. Da, and da, these da, guys, da, they managed da, to... Da, do, da. Matt Hamill. Oh, are you gonna... <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, man, he beat that guy up so bad he had to disqualify him. Man. Come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, obviously GSP. We even saw GSP go up a weight class and beat, you know, a fellow goat. Okay, I, by the way, I am English, guys. I do like to use a lot of sarcasm when I say Bisbing's the goat. He's not actually the goat. I just, I just love the guy. But um, yeah, he went up and beat that guy at middleweight. So you know, GSP proved himself in multiple weight classes. So yeah, I feel like in terms of greatness, your achievement, I feel like he's done a lot to. Almost yeah, maybe even yeah. surpass Sanders and Silva. And if he used to go down to 155 and somehow beat Khabib by 155, I feel like that would cement it to a part where it's just not even an argument anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, again, I am a, for me, Anderson Silva is always going to be number one, but even I. I'm a, and not to say that GSP, I'm not a fan of GSP. I've been, a, I mean, GSP has literally beat, he beat, I mean, here's the, I mean, this is crazy what, what I was about to say. Anderson Silva did it too. You've Anderson Silva fought the top contender every single time. It just so happens that 185 at the time that Anderson Silva reigned supreme was weak. Or what well, weaker compared to what GSP had to go through at 170. I mean, GSP fought uh, Matt Hughes. He fought BJ Penn. He fought Dan Hardy. Josh Koscheck twice, twice, twice. I think twice. Um, I believe only once. Once, once, and then that's what when he was well. saying, "I never want to hear about Josh oh, no, Koscheck sorry, ever again." Twice, twice, twice. It's very, uh, very decisive. Yeah, the second one, he he beat his ass for a legit twenty five minutes. Fought Johnny Hendricks twice. He fought Nick Diaz. He he fought everybody. He's fought everybody so 
GSP's resume is way better than Anderson Silva's. Um, it's just for me, uh, Anderson Silva, my reasoning to put Anderson Silva number one is the way he would put people in the matrix. So, but Daniel, (laughs) I invited you on the all American Chelsea podcast, not all American UFC podcast. Daniel, Dan, the man, talk to me about my boys in blue. Talk to me about what we have coming up for us Saturday. 7.30 7.30 in the morning, my time. What would that be? 2.30 in the afternoon, your time, correct? Yes. 2.30? 30? 2.30. 3 plus 7, 10. 12.30. 12.30, yeah. Damn, Christian. Just a second there. Damn, homie. <laughs> 12.30 your time. Talk to me about Chelsea versus Manchester United. I mean, wow. I mean, I could probably go on for a good hour or so and going into this, <laughs> into some sort of analysis of this game. I mean, I thought about it so long and hard, and uh, I'm almost a little bit worried because I've never gone into a game against Manchester United feeling this confident. Like, it's almost arrogant to the point where I'm like, there's just no way we should lose because, you know, analyzing this game, thinking about it, because we've had a long time to think about it with the uh, international break. Um, I mean, obviously, our form has been great. We're the only unbeaten side in, 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 in England, in all competitions. In fact, in the UK as well. Let's just throw that in there. Um, and also, mm-hmm. United, I mean, this is probably their worst form that we've seen, you know, since the post-Alex Ferguson era. So, Sir Alex Ferguson era. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all looking well for us. I mean, even from a tactical aspect, I mean, we've seen how United have game against West Ham where they line up with five at the back and they weren't really forming any kind of press. They're really reluctant to really step forward. They had a midfielder playing in their back three. So, oh, look, if we line up anything like that against Chelsea with the football that we're playing at this moment in time, it's it's going to be curtains for them. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super confident going into this. Again, I don't want to be over too, too confident just because I feel like when you get to a point where you're just going to win, it just has to be a win. That's when you can sometimes be shocked. But I really don't see it. From a tactical aspect, I just don't see it. From the form aspect, I definitely don't see it. And... I'm just looking forward to what the boys are going to do for us on Saturday because it's, we're playing such great football and it's a great moment. And, you know, I, I came into the season believing that, you know, what a title challenge would be just good. Yeah, I'd be happy with a title challenge. We'll be getting back into the top four in Champions League football. But, you know, I'm slowly... I said after 10 games, I'll be, I'll be having to reassess and say that, you know, maybe we can win the league. And, uh, yeah, again, without saying it too many times, I think we can maybe do it. We can, maybe we, this can be our season to win the league. I mean, who knows? But, again, for just Saturday, I'm extremely yeah, no, I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that the best thing that United, like, I too am confident. And the best thing that United can do this Saturday is draw. I just don't fo- see them beating us. Now, I know it's football. Things happen. The ball is round for a reason and round things can bounce any which way. We could be, you know, and even in then... It, we're playing United. I just don't see them being better than us in a 90 minutes. You know, if we're playing and the game ends up, you know, 1-1, 2-1, and United end up winning or drawing, but they, their go-ahead goal or the, the, the goal they get to go level is a bounce and it goes into, you know, and, and crazy shit happens, will I be disappointed? Yes. Upset? No. Because I just don't see them beating us. I don't see them coming away with three points. I see mm. the best that they could do is one point. 
So now the game is played for a reason. We're feeling this confident and come Saturday, you know, the ref can blow the whistle and United come to play. But their form recently, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. I think Mourinho throws 10 guys behind the ball. Hell, he might put 11 guys inside the, inside the, the, the goalie, inside the, the net with, uh, you know, David De Gea and all 11 of them hang out and, 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 and you know, guard the net. But I just don't see them beating us. And if they, if Mourinho gets a wild hair up his ass or the players decide to, to open up and start playing against us, we're going to destroy them. It's not even going to be fair. It's not going to be fair. So, I mean, I'm, I, I'm like you. I'm very confident for this game. But... You know, mm-hmm. we it's games are played for a reason. They're not played on paper. So, how do you think we're gonna line up? How do I think we're gonna line up? So I feel like it'll be. I mean, there was a there was an injury scare for Kovacic um after the England game, but it looks like he's all ready to go. Um, funny enough, just as we we're saying that, Barkley's been hitting some really good form of late. I don't want to speak too soon because I don't like to ever jinx players, especially when I when I've had strong views on them in the past and I felt that they should offer more and they really do need to offer more but he's been playing good the last few games obviously against Southampton he got a good goal and an assist um, played good against Spain especially impressive against Spain so um, I have to give him his credit and he could start um, I think that's only the only positions that are really up for contention otherwise I feel like we're going to see more of the same obviously with Kepa in goal our normal standard back four Jorginho Kante obviously in the midfield um, and obviously either Kovacic or Barkley I do believe Kovacic will start I think he normally favours these kind of bigger games and obviously our front three is going to be happy. Um, most likely Giroud starting. And then maybe right wing's a little bit contentious as well in terms of maybe it's going to be Willian or Pedro who's started the season in probably better form. Although it's if he's had a little injury uh, scare. So whether he's back and ready to be starting this game, who knows, we'll wait and see. But I feel like it wouldn't be anything too different from what we've seen already this season. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything different. I, I think, and, and listen, the back, okay, well, let's do this. I think, yeah, Kepa and goal. Um, the back four, you're going to have Marcus Alonso, who I, I, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Before the season, I was pushing hard for Emerson to be our starter. Hard, hard, hard. I was pushing Emerson to be the starter. And the first game, I, I kind of, I was hard on, on Marcus Alonso. Our second game, what we played, no, we played Arsenal our third game, right? Third game? No, Arsenal was our second game. First Arsenal game was, was a Huddersfield. Our second game was Arsenal, and I think our third game was Newcastle. Newcastle? Yeah. Newcastle. Yeah, spot on. So our second game, I was still hard on Marcus Alonso, um, even though he did a bunch of great things in that game. But, oh, shit, what, we're eight games later? And I'm looking at the man, and I'm like, you know what? My bad. I was completely wrong about you. Um. Yes, he makes mistakes. Yes. And and they're not they're not his mistakes are his mistakes that he's making are more so like come on, get back faster. Uh in your play, get back better in position. They're never I don't feel like his he's made any mistakes that could potentially cost us a game. But mm-hmm. I I I feel like he's been playing great. Um David Luiz I feel like he's been playing great. Is he the best center back in the league? 
Is uh, he's certainly up there. Certainly up there. I mean, we have to remember the last time he played a full season, he was voted the best centre back in the league in the the twenty uh, in the twenty sixteen seventeen season. So. Yeah, yeah, we have to remember he has got form of obviously playing good. Obviously, he fell out with Conte. Yeah, that happens to be the case. But people saying that oh, he can't play in a back four. I mean, he's won a Champions League in a back four. He's won a Europa League in a back four. He's also won league titles in a back four. So, and he's proven it again this season. He's been very good this season. People want to be critical, but I mean, we have to remember what he offers on the ball as well as off the ball. And I mean, some of his passing has been exceptional. His defending, especially against Liverpool, I thought he was man of the match. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a big fan of David Luiz, and I'm happy to see him playing well because I feel like David Luiz playing well. It's certainly someone that we need in our back four. Yeah. I mean, if he's not the best in the league, then I don't know who is. Um, but then again, that's how I feel about all our players. They're always the best ever. But if, of he's, if he's not the best in the league, shit, then I want to see the man who is. because Probably the next the guy next to Rudiger. So. Rudiger? I mean, again, Rudiger's another guy that before I saw a lot of talk about him not starting. Before the season. And I'm like, guys, I don't know what the fuck are you seeing that I'm not. But even since last year, yes, he fucked up against Barcelona. Um, Yes, he's had his mistakes here or there. But overall, if you look at Rudiger's time from the moment he started for us till today. Well, the moment he became a full-time starter till today. Overall, the dude has been exceptional exceptional he's been playing out of his mind um and again i i don't i mean right now that center back partnership who's better and i i'm a guy that i want to see christensen in there that's my boy i mean he and i share all very similar names that's my boy right there i want to see him starting but i can't i gotta go with sorry on this one David Luiz and Rudiger right now are playing out of their minds together, and you cannot change them. Now, somebody that I feel like we are slowly watching their decline is Aspie. I feel like if I was in charge of player personnel, that's one position I'd be today, today, be thinking about two years from now. Because we could be seeing. We could be right now living Ivanovic 13 and 14. I don't think he's there just yet, Ooh. but we could be Ivanovic. <laughs> we could be Ivanovic 12 and 13. How about that? We're Ivanovic 12 and 13. 2012, 2013. I think we're there with Aspie. Mm. Where he's got one more solid year out of him, and then we're going to see a true decline because he... Last year for us was lights out. Best defender in the league. Best. The best. The year before that, the best. Close your eyes and ask. You don't even have to think about him. But I've been seeing some things from him. Maybe it's a new system. Maybe he's not as offensive as he... There could be, there could be things that, are, that I'm missing that, are, you know, that, that have me having the wrong opinion. But I think we might be seeing a decline, a slow decline right before our eyes. And, 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 and I, don't know, I don't know if everybody has picked up on it yet, just yet. He hasn't done anything mm, so shocking. Not- he hasn't done anything shocking, not just yet, that I can think of. But when I see him, I'm like, 
for whatever reason, I'm not as confident as I was once was, and I had 100% confidence in him. Mm, I mean, just to weigh in on this myself, because I mean, I've been thinking about the right back situation for quite a while, and uh, you know, just going a little bit deeper on Aspilicueta. I mean, you think of the managers that we've had recently, and like, so obviously Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho, these are obviously defensive type managers, and there's a lot of talk of obviously Mourinho stifling forward players like yesterday, obviously a Martial. A hazard, um, a Robin back in the day, and just get the best out of these guys. But I feel like, and conversely, it works in the opposite way, where he gets the best out of defenders and he makes them almost better than what they are. And like mm. we've seen that with Chris Smalling to a degree, where United actually had a really good defensive record last season. But despite the fact that there's no one in their defense that I would even want in our squad, like mm-hmm. at all. So yeah, it has to be taken as a fact. And I mean, not to say at all that Aspi isn't better than what he is or anything like that. No, I'm not suggesting that once or whatsoever. But I feel like there's a certain system which. He suits, and I feel like being a third centre back in a three was literally perfect Aspilicueta position. Because I feel like in a two, I mean, I've said before that I feel like he could work in a central two, but I understand why he isn't the first choice there. I absolutely understand that. And I feel like as a fullback, he's always had these kind of flaws in his game, but he wasn't really needed to be an attacking fullback as a left back under Mourinho when obviously in the Mourinho second stint because he had Hazard on his side. So the entire, the entire attacking burden on that left hand side was just down to um, Hazard, and then the entire defensive burden on that side was just pretty much down to Aspilicueta and they actually worked as a great team because they almost did each other's way Hazard didn't really do too much defending Aspilicueta didn't do too much attacking but they were both so great at what they do that they ended up making it work and they were essentially a great partnership down that side now Aspilicueta going back down to right back and being in an attacking system as what we're playing under Sari he has some of these deficiencies in his game of his dribbling he isn't the greatest dribbler he isn't the greatest press resistant player on the ball of his passing at times is quite one-dimensional and you can kind of guess where he's going as an opposition player. So he does have these faults in his game. But as I've said about everybody um, in the team and a team as a whole, I wouldn't want to judge or completely make judgments on these players after before 10 games because I want to see, at least give them a chance to get used to the system. Because you saw um, someone who me and yourself, we've talked about this in the past that we said that he maybe isn't the best fit for Chelsea at left-back. I mean, he's proven a lot of his haters wrong. Also, let me say his detractors wrong this season. He's obviously improved and he's been able to make some of the runs and overlapping runs um, ahead of the play and actually been able to defend a little bit better as you saw against Salah in the, um, the Liverpool game. So I thought like we need to give Aspect some time, but for sure, I mean, everything you said, there are, there are some deficiencies in this game that he needs to certainly improve upon. And hopefully we can start to see the old Aspie back because it is a little bit worrying as a big fan of his and as a big fan of Ivanovic back in the day. But yeah, it's... It's slightly worrying times, but again, I don't see any problems for him coming up on sat on Saturday, particularly. No, but no, 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 no. Yeah, hopefully not. But again, I feel like we could be seeing, we could be maybe speaking a little bit too soon on him. Perhaps he maybe has a renaissance because he's what only at twenty eight, twenty nine. So yeah. yeah, he's still got a few years left in him. So hopefully he can just get in tactical. He can get it right tactically in this new system, and uh, he'll be able to see the old Aspie back. Yeah, I mean, again, it could be it could be a lot of things. It could be. You know, my eyes are deceiving me. It could be. But again, and, and this is my personal belief that, of course, I believe our players are the best at all times. But last year and the year before, I would have been very receptive and I wouldn't have had a challenge in the world if you would have told me that Aspie was the best at his position. He said he's the best in the world at his position. I said, yep, you're absolutely right. Um, what is your why do you believe that? No, nope, I don't see any flaws in that argument. Whether I agree or not, I don't see anything there. But if we had that argument now, with without seeing the other names on the list, 
that would be brought up, I, I would be a little bit hesitant to go that far. I don't know why, mm. man. I don't know why. I, I can't, I can't, I, I, I haven't seen anything that, like, again, that it's costing us games or anything like that, but it's just been times where I'm like, he slipped up there. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah. I don't, again, I'm not a professional footballer. So for for me to be even questioning what he's like that, like, I feel kind of a douchebag for even doing that. But again, there's just something there. There's something there. We might be seeing something. And, and I don't know. I don't know. I just want to put a pin in that. Midfield. Kante starting. I don't. I don't even want to. Get, I don't even want to hear anybody say a single word. For all of you that have been out there on Twitter talking about, oh, maybe Kante, his positioning, uh, he's locked. Go fuck yourselves. All right, that guy, he can do no <laughs> wrong in my eyes. He's perfect. He starts week in, week out. Anybody who thinks otherwise, please find, don't do not listen to my podcast. Go somewhere else. I don't want you. I don't want you, Kante. He's the best midfielder in the world. I don't want to hear an argument otherwise. He starts week in, week out. I don't care that he doesn't score goals. I don't care. I don't care. He starts. That's it. Next position. Jorginho. Baller. Starting. Next position. Kovacic. And Barkley. I'm seeing people having this conversation. I'm seeing this conversation. And Ross Barkley right now is doing the right things. These are the type of conversations you want people to have about you not the conversations and the arguments people are making for Ruben to start Ruben lost his cheek we've had this we've talked about this before if I was Ruben lost his cheek every day I would look at Ross Barkley and I would hate him <laughs> I would hate him and I will tell you why as a competitor, now I'm not ta- I'm not talking about it personally or whatever. As a competitor, you're talking about it as a competitor. Me, if I was Ruben, I would see Ross Barkley and I go, "You are not you." As when we step on this field to practice or whatever, every time I see you, you and I are not friends. I compete against you. Until I have that spot, I com- I'm competing against you. And Ross Barkley is doing everything the right way. Everything the right way. He's hustling. Everywhere you see him, the man is hustling. He's doing exactly what you need to do to to earn a starting position. Everywhere he's at. And I'm not a Ross. I'm the you look at my Twitter timeline. I'm the first one to jump on Ross Barkley's ass. Ross Barkley fucked that up. What was it? Against Liverpool. Against Liverpool. That was Ross Barkley's fault that 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 uh Daniel Sturridge scored. That was on Barkley. But Barkley's doing everything right to shut me up. Hustling, playing hard. That pass that he had on the international break against Spain for goal. Come on. Come on. Those are the things you need to do. You need to have people have conversations like what what we are having about him. And that's his play is dictating the, 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 the narrative. Not, oh, he should get a chance because he's been his potential. That's the narrative for Ruben. And I love Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I want to see him start in the starting 11 just as much as the next man. Like a member of his family, I want to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek become a legend and fulfill his potential because he has all the potential in the world. 
But the fact remains the narrative for Ruben Loftus-Cheek needs to be similar to what's being spoken about, the conversation that's being had between Ross Barkley and Kovacic. Excuse me. <coughs> and that is... Bless you. No, uh, thank you. I coughed. Um, and that is... Oh. Hold on, let me just get a drink of water here. And that is his play is dictating whether or not he should start over Kovacic. And Kovacic is playing great. Kovacic is playing fine. But that's how you push somebody. That's how you make the coach go, wait a minute, maybe all you want to do is be in the conversation. I don't know. For me, Kovacic starts over Ross Barkley because I like what Kovacic brings to the game. And enough is enough. I'm, I, I need to start seeing Kovacic play a full 90. Even when he goes to Croatia, he can't play a full 90. What the hell is going on with this guy? He can only play 70 minutes. No matter who he plays, he only plays 70 minutes. <laughs> so, I don't know. But that's my midfield right there. Kovacic, Jorginho, the greatest midfielder in the world mm. right now. Front three, Hazard, who, let me ask you a question. Have you been seeing these reports going on today uh, on Twitter about that he's going to sign the deal? Yes, I have, and um, reports of an excess of a yeah. I mean, I feel as every Chelsea fan should. I mean, elated, uh, relieved, happy, uh, a release of anxiety because we all know that he is our best player by a mile. We are pretty much one step away from being Hazard FC, quite literally. Because I mean, it's kind of scary just how much we do rely on him and how we have how we have been relying on him over the last few years. And uh, yeah, it's it's great to hear that the fact that he's been offered over three hundred k a week, which I think is something he does deserve, especially the fact that he is the best player in the league, and I believe Alexis Sanchez is on the most at hundred at three hundred and fifty k a week. So I, I thought like it was four hundred for Alexis Sanchez. I think it's three hundred and fifty as a base rate, but then along with bonuses and sponsorships and all that, it goes up to an excess of four hundred. So it's something like that. But I mean, I mean at the very least, Hazard should definitely be in that ballpark. He should certainly be in that conversation, if not more than that, because he is the best player in the league and. You must get paid those ridges. The reason why Messi and Ronaldo are the highest paid players in Europe because they're the best players. So you can only be judged of your pay grade as to what, obviously, your ability and what you show on the pitch. He deserves to be given a high raise. And um, obviously, we need him to sign a long, de- a long deal and a long contract at the club because he's our most important player. He's our most valuable asset. And yeah, it's only a good time for us. And I know there's been a lot of flirting in the media um, with obviously Real Madrid, but I think that's just his personality. And not that he's a flirt or anything like that, but no, I think he's just being honest. And he's telling the truth that, yeah, he does have ambitions to play for Real Madrid. I think he was a youngster. Um, it's obviously a dream of his, and why wouldn't you be? Obviously coming from Europe and uh, the fact that that's the biggest club in the world and there's no hiding away from that, but that is who they are. And we know who we are right now. We know we currently are in the Europa League, but we know that we are a big club. We are a draw on ourselves and... As long as we show Hazard the ambition that we want to still remain an elite club in European football, there isn't, then that gives him more reason to stay. And I believe he does want to stay because we all know his heart is at Chelsea. So he's done great things here. He talks about how much the club has given to him and he wants to pay back to the club. And I think he still wants to pay back even more by being a captain and leading us to the one trophy that he hasn't won under us, which is the Champions League. So again, um, a long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah. Really, really happy with the news, and uh, hopefully he does sign my contract very soon. Yeah, no, and I, I'm also encouraged by uh, with the the CEO, the president of the club. Is he the CEO or the president? Bruce Buck. He's, I think he's the number one guy. I mean, outside of Roman. Yeah, he's the number one guy, and you know, it's good. It's encouraging that he's has come out and said that you know that he wants, he knows exactly what Eden Hazard means to the club, and he wants him to stay. 
and they're doing everything to show him that he wants to stay. And that includes, um, you know, Eden Hazard's very vocal that he wants, you know, to see the club show ambition by signing, you know, the best players. Um, and, and that was encouraging as well. I mean, if you ask me, I mean, this all could be if Chelsea, Chelsea, I know you're listening. Listen, the front office, anybody, Marina, Bruce, all you guys, Roman, shout out to Roman, my homie. You guys are listening to this. I know you listen to my podcast. Listen, I have experience in contract negotiations. This is very simple. Get me in the room with Conte and Eden Hazard, um, and they'll sign that contract. Um, if you want to see, you know, my resume and my CV, uh, just look to uh, last Friday, 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 where are we at? Friday, Monday, Monday, Monday. I signed Eden Hazard and N'Golo Conte. It was very easy. 30 seconds on FIFA 19. I think I gave Hazard a 410. <laughs> N'Golo Conte, 275, I think it was. Signed him for both five years. Done. Easy. It was, you know, none of this. You guys get me involved, and there's no need for this back and forth. I get involved. What do you want? What do you want? Here, cut them check. Get them a check. What else do you want? That's it. So, you know, you guys know how to get a hold of me. Get me in there. I'll get this thing done. All right? So. <clears throat> now. <laughs> All right, so next position on the field, striker. Who do we start at striker? Who? Oof. <laughs> Who do we start um, at striker? You're, just before I get onto that, just to correct you on something you said a little bit earlier, um, when you said that we don't, when, what does my opinion matter? I mean, I'm not a professional footballer. I mean, first and foremost, I do hear you strike a pretty mean free kick. And, uh, I mean, I've heard it. It's on the grapevine. And uh, secondly, I mean, as you are a professional podcaster, one of the best Chelsea ones out there, I mean, we, I mean, I and certainly everybody listening do value your opinion and we certainly do take it um, as important as we take any pundit that we see on the TV. So, I mean, we certainly do value your opinion. And in terms of obviously where we who we're going to play at striker, right? So, I mean, thank it's you, an thank interesting you, Daniel. I'm, you know, I like to stay humble. I don't like to brag about, you know, my talents. But, uh, you know, let's just say, listen, listen, how about this? Get me in the Wembley Cup next year, because I already missed this year. Get me in the Wembley Cup, and you'll see what happens. That's all I got to say. I'm putting it out, out in the universe. You get me into the Wembley Cup. I already spoke. I already put it out through my representatives to my people. You get me in the Wembley Cup, and we'll see. We'll see. All I'm just saying is you better. I already have three goal celebrations planned out. Already. That's all I'm saying. That's it. That's it. And I have more. But three minimum. That's it. Uh, Think quick, I'm playing. Question. Do any of them involve crying like Marata did the other day in the European? <laughs> no, they do not. Okay, that, that's good. Uh, that, that's very good. Um oh speaking of Marata, um, yeah, okay. Well, okay, you certainly know my my views on Marata and uh I don't know if everybody else does. And to be fair, they have softened in recent weeks because um or in recent times, I mean, let me put it like this, right? So, Christian, I know you're not a big fan of Deli Alley, right? No, not a, uh, of Deli Alley, the peanut head? No. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I know you don't rate him as a player and maybe you don't like him as a person either. And now, could you imagine if he was linked and he ended up joining Chelsea next summer? How would you feel about that? For what? 
Why would he? I'm just, I'm just been out of there as a hypothetical. Why would he? Why? Why do I want him? Why? He's a one season wonder. I don't want him. Okay, I don't want him. Just, but, but no, but now, but now he's signed and it's confirmed that he's actually a Chelsea player. He's got the number 18 shirt, let's say. And he's starting and he's saying all the talk about, oh, it's a, it's a dream to play for Chelsea Football Club. Uh, it's a big honour. It's an amazing feeling. Uh, I grew up watching Chelsea and all this. He gives it the, the normal blurb and he's a Chelsea player. Now, how would you feel about that? I guess. I mean, he plays for us, so of course. I, he plays for us, so he's on our team. Once he's on the team, he's on the team. I would enjoy it as a big middle finger to Tottenham. But I mean, it would it wouldn't I wouldn't fall in love with him right away. It would take time. I would question the move. I, I it would take time. It would take time. Okay, I mean, and I appreciate the honesty. And I mean, the reason why I've drawn that comparison is that's similar to how I felt about Morata. I mean, I, I watched a lot of Spanish football, and um, I watched a bit of him at Juventus as well. And uh, to put it frank, I wasn't really that impressed with him. Um, I didn't really rate him that highly. Um, I knew that he was getting he had a pretty decent goals per minute, but that's mainly because he was coming off the bench. When he started games, his record wasn't very partic- particularly great. Um, even in the games when I've seen him, he other than maybe at times he would have good movement in the box and he'd be able to poach at the right time. He didn't really show much in terms of any amazing striking ability to the point where I feel he's an amazing striker and he has amazing potential. I just thought he was a pretty decent poacher, but he would only be maybe a mid-level striker in, in, in Europe. But then he got linked with us and that was the same time we were being linked with Lukaku. And just for like, please, let's get Lukaku. Please, Lukaku will be that guy. And, I mean, fast forward to now, and both aren't really impressing that highly. I mean, Lukaku's been putting up numbers, and yeah, there's all the jokes about his first touch being like he's wearing Timberland boots and all that, but <laughs> at least he's putting in goals and he's actually stepping up and he's looking like a player and he's actually being selected for his country, whereas Morata, I mean, he's crying after scoring in the Europa League, he's missing open goals, and it's and he's not got the confidence of a striker that you want to be playing for your club. and. It's proven me right after what I thought I was being proven wrong after the first, let's say, what, two, three months when he scored, what, I believe, eight goals in 10 games. And he started like a house on fire. And all my friends were telling me, oh, I thought you were getting on to right. I thought you said he was shit, this and that. And I was like, you know what? I'm having to hold on on this because he's actually performing. And I was just turning on to being on his side. And then he put in that disaster class against Arsenal. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was after that, there was just pretty much no turning back. And it was, uh, it's pretty much downhill from there. But now going back to Saturday and in terms of if he can play. I mean, yeah, he scored against Man United last season in, in this exact same fixture, but I don't see start, especially against Man United, especially with the form that Giroud's been in. And people are going to be like, the form Giroud's been in, but how many goals has he scored this season? Um, he scored only one, and that was for France. But he's been getting assists, he's been involved, and he's actually been linking up play. And if both our strikers aren't really going to be getting us goals, which I guess we have to accept that they're both not, who do I, who do I want? What do I want for my striker to at least be doing? I want them to be at least linking up I provide him for our best player on the pitch, which is Eden Hazard. And I believe Giroud offers that. And I believe we all know that Giroud offers that more in abundance than what Morata does. So for me, it has to be Giroud starting. I feel like he offers the best platform. I feel like against potentially Lindelof or maybe even McTominay, who starts at centre-back, I think that's just a weak spot, which is waiting for someone like a Giroud, a prime target man, to go and abuse that and especially pinpoint that and make sure that we can benefit from that. And yeah, I feel like Giroud can benefit and that should be a problem for United in this game as well as the other problems that were going to cause them. So I don't want to hear any talk about Morata starting. I mean, he might be a good impact sub, but no, Morata starting? Nope, not today. Not on Saturday. He can stay in Europa League. Starting? No. <laughs> I, I honestly... I honestly don't know. I, I don't... 
truth be told, I, I, I would prefer. All right, let me start here. I, I believe in Morata. I believe that he can become a good player, but I don't know whether that's my optimism fueling that belief or it's his play that's fueling that belief. I don't know. I, I, I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't know. But I would say this. I would feel much better if I had a different striker. Not Giroud, not Morata. If I had, you know, I would feel better. Hey, Listen, let's talk about Icardi. I, I don't. Does Chelsea break the bank for a striker just after they paid $70 million for him one? That's, that's well, the question. Do they do it? Um, yes, depending on who we get out. Because we have to remember, we have got a lot of assets in our club, which we can still sell and make money on. Well, probably we're going to be making a loss on quite a few of those players. Uh, players I'm talking about are the likes of Bakayoko, who we signed for around 40 million. Drinkwater, who we got for 35 million. Oh, I'm not boy. going to even bring that's up Bakayoko. The, that's the, MV, how, the MVP of this season is Danny Drinkwater. How <laughs> he's managed to stay on this damn team while not playing a single minute of meaningful football is beyond me. The man is reaching. What, who was it? Hilario? Hilario that we had on the team for like <laughs> 30 years. And the dude, ne he would show up for picture day. That's it. Picture day. And he would never come back. He would never come back. He's reaching that level. If I, when I grow up, when I grow up, whenever that is, I pray that I get a job like Danny Drinkwater. This dude is prancing around, I'm sure, in, in Cobbleham at the training center with not a care in the world. The dude is jazz music right now. He's in the background. Nobody even knows he exists. And that check keeps coming in every Monday. Every Monday, that direct deposit hits. And it's fat, that check. That check is fat. And Danny Drinkwater is just there having the best time in the world. Do you see Danny Drinkwater's name in any media? Any newspaper, any YouTube channel, not a single meaningful person in Chelsea, outside of Chelsea, is talking Danny Drinkwater. And there he is collecting checks, big checks from Chelsea Football Club. The dude is the MVP. He's figured life out. He's got it. He's got the cheat code right there. Boom. Cheat code. <laughs> I don't know how he's done it, but I wish I could figure it out because I would have bet my life on that he would have been the first one out the door. I would have bet it. And in how he's managed to stick around, the dude deserves a trophy. Trophy. You ask me. He deserves a trophy. <laughs> I mean, he maybe deserves a trophy, but I think our board deserves a little something else for I mean, some of the business that we've been making in recent times because, uh, I mean, that's another player who we spent well over excess of 80 million for for essentially a squad player. I mean, going let's say to Liverpool as an example, they spent what 50 million on Starred, sorry, on 50 million on Shakiri, who's going to be their squad player. But you know, that's half the price, and someone who's twice as effective as Drinkwater. So it's you can kind of see where we're wasting money here, obviously. So as I was saying, Bakayoko, Drinkwater, Zaba Costa, potentially even Emerson, he might be on the way out, maybe soon because he's not going to be uh, usurping uh, Alonso anytime soon at left back. So we have money in the squad to be able to let's say, offload. And then this is the important thing, actually use our youth because while we all want to see our youth prosper and actually first team and 
you know, we all want the dream, which is to have someone like a John Terry come up through the ranks, captain our side and win literally every trophy in, in the world for our club. For our club. While that is also great, we need our youth to actually replenish our squad. So that way, yes. we're using them to fill up the squad positions in our squad. So that way, we're not just buying five or six players for our squad. Some of them are going to be hits. Some of them are going to be misses. And some of them are just to be squad players. No, we need to be going out and just spending, buying two or three players in the summer who are going to be hitters. You're going to be going into our first lineup, our first 11, and making us a better team. And then the rest of the squad, we just fill up with our youth, youth players, like Ampadu, like a Hudson O'Day, potentially a Reese James. And that's what we need to be doing. And that way, we actually save up that money and sell these guys on. And then we don't need to really spend it anywhere else. Maybe the number then right back, potentially. Then we can, yeah, then we can definitely afford a Cardi for potentially, what, 70 to 80 million. I feel like maybe even if it goes up to 120 million in this uh, uplifted market, I feel like we can still afford him and I feel like that's a need to make because also even Murata because there's no way we're going to have Murata, Giroud and Nicardi at the club potentially and Murata for let's say and Tammy Michi, Abraham I always forget about Michi yeah Michi, Michi, Michi. That's, a, that's a topic maybe even for another day because uh, I, I mean as you know I love Michi and I feel like he even potentially has a future at this club potentially but well I mean we'll wait and see with that but I mean with the amount of money in our squad that we can Certainly offload. I feel like we can afford the cards, whether the club wants to pull the trigger on that. And I hope they do, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes from there. Because as you, everybody knows who's listening to this, the millions and millions out there, mm-hmm. we need a striker. We need a striker to be the elite mm-hmm. club that we, we aim to be and we should be at this stage. Yeah. I mean, if I had to... Well... <clears throat> well, let's 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 finish up with the starting 11 in, in, in the right wing position. I believe it's Pedro. Pedro, we look... A hundred times better when Pedro's starting um, uh, over William. Uh, I, I still believe that Chelsea Football Club messed up royally by not taking that 50 or $60 million. If it is true that Barcelona offered that uh, deal to Chelsea, I feel like they screwed up big time by not taking that money and running as fast as they could. Um for me, Pedro is almost like a new uh, a new signing for this club. So, um, and I, that was a, that was another player that I thought for sure was going to see the door, and that was Pedro. But um, so that's that's the starting eleven. Now moving to the striker. Um, continuing the striker talk, we have let's count it up. We have Tammy Abraham, Bertrand Traore, Mishi Morata, and Giroud. Realistically, realistically, I wish that we could figure it out with Tammy Abraham and Bertrand Chari. If the new FIFA rules come kick in, there's no way we could have two strikers on loan. One of those two guys has to stay and fight it out and keep pushing the line forward. So if we could end up with something like our first 11 striker, like an Icardi, our... Late 20s, early 30s, second striker, like a Giroud, like a, yeah, like a, you know who would fit that role perfectly? Like a Denzeko. Uh, there, he would have fit that role perfectly. You know, late thir- late 20s, early 30s, he's at the end of his years. He's coming, you know, he's, this is his last big contract that he's taking the second stro- uh, choice striker. And then another young guy. I think Mishi might end up moving ultimately because of his youth, his age, and 
he's not bad as a number two coming off the bench. As a number two guy. He's not a number one. He's not a number one. But a number, you know, when the late 20s, early, you know, early 30s, second short striker is is starting, here comes Mishi as he's that guy. So I wish he would be able to take that role. And if it's not, it has to be one of the youngsters. Like, that's what I would love to see. I want Morata to come good, but he might not be the guy. He might not be the guy. I don't. He has all the tools in the world, but I just don't believe that when he puts his foot on the ball, that he believes that that ball is going through the back of the net, whether it happens or not. I am. I'm for me. The misses don't bother me as much as his attitude. I don't mind if he missed a hundred times a game and he scored, ends up scoring two goals. And if he had a 98% miss rate, but every game he ends up with a goal or two, that doesn't bother me at all. At what's wait, comparatively, what's worse is when he gets on the ball, I just don't see it. I don't see the Diego Costa in him where Costa would get on the ball. He was all the way out by the flag. All the way on the touchline in the corner. Buried in the corner at the flag. And he had that fire that he was going to run through and score. I don't see it from Morata. I just don't see it. And that bothers me more than anything else. That's mm. the one thing that gives me pause and cause for concern. Is that he still doesn't believe that every single time he touches the ball, it's going to the back of the net. Or he's going to run through everyone and go through the back of the net. Didier Drogba believed it. Hey, I remember Samuel Eto believed it. He believed that he was going to score every single time. Hey, Diego Costa believed it. Uh, I even remember... I remember... Hey, I, is it me or did, did Nicholas Anelka even have that in him? Oh, he certainly had that. I mean, he was top scorer for us in the in the entire league. He won the Golden Boot, so he believed that dude. He had it, and you see, and and unfortunately, you see Fernando Torres and Morata, a guy that has all the skills in the world, but they just don't believe that that ball's going in the back of the net. I, mm. I, that bothers me. That bo- that right there. And that's no, there's no amount of training that can fix that. That's between the ears. Only one person can fix that, and that's him. And if he doesn't have that hunger and that desire, it might never happen. It might never happen. And that's not, you know, that's not what's going on with Bakayoko. I never felt like Bakayoko lacked any confidence whatsoever. He just is not that good. But I never felt like I look at him and I'm like, oh shit, this guy doesn't even think he deserves to be on the field. Do you know um that Ace Milan are this close to terminating his contract and sending him back? Because Gattuso is absolutely livid of his yeah. footballing ability and training. Yeah. And, and what are we going to do then? What are we going to um, do then when he shows back up at Cobham? He's going to keep Danny Drinkwater company. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> I don't think so. I think Danny Drinkwater will not allow that. He'll be like, get this motherfucker out here. Get him away from <laughs> me. He's giving me too much heat over here. Get out of here. Bro, like, <laughs> I, at that point, Danny Drinkwater, 
Danny Drinkwater is personally flying out to AC Milan and helping training Bakayoko just so that he doesn't make his way back to Chelsea. Just so he doesn't have to improve his play to not be on the bubble like Bakayoko. Danny Drinkwater <laughs> wants to stay nice and comfortable. He doesn't want a single, no heat, no pressure, no nothing. What more? Danny Drinkwater keeps his mouth quiet and he's in an FA Cup race. He doesn't say a single word and he's in an FA Cup race. He's in a Europa League Cup race. Uh, race. He's, I mean, he's right now, he's in, a, in a, a Premier League race. He says one word and that all goes away. Because he will, he, he, where are they going to send him? They're not going to send him to a top six team, a team with the chance of winning a trophy. He's going into the back of the table, the bottom of the table team, unless he leaves the country. So if he just stays quiet, if I was Danny Drinkwater, I'm thinking as I go home, I'm like, hey, yo, I stay here. I keep, you know, I train, I run, I get a new, I get new practice gear, I get new boots, I just stay quiet. And I could win some. I could win something. I could be. I could get a medal, a winner's medal. Anywhere else, I ain't getting that. Can you imagine? Where Where is he gonna go? Where can he go? He's going. He's going. All he has to do is stay quiet, and then Bakayoko's gonna come, and he's gonna put more heat on him. Now, Danny Drinkwater has to improve his play. And has to start getting compared to Ross Barkley and Rubin and all those guys to keep his spot. So he does he distances himself away from Bakayoko. If I was Danny Drinkwater, I'd be making sure that Bakayoko stays far away from me. Far away from good <laughs> London. Far away. So I can maintain my spot. Don't come over here fucking my shit up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to me, they just seem like lost causes. I mean, it, it just seems like they're beyond the point of where we feel like they're going to be starting for Chelsea anytime soon. I mean, personally, I feel like Drinkwater could even go back to Leicester and do good there. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. But, um, you know, I do want to get your opinion on something. I actually want to ask you a question, right? Well, so, some. yeah, I am the captain now. So, um, my question is, what do you think of United, actually, and their, their recent troubles? And, in fact, if anything, what players maybe concern you heading into, obviously, the game on Saturday? All right, so let me answer a few. Let me answer your questions before I get to what players cause for concern. Number one, what do I think about what's going on in United? I fucking love it. I love it. I love it. An absolute dumpster fire. I'm over here eating two Big Macs with my McDonald's bag going. I love it. In a Kanye West little pump costume with my shoulders all out, dancing around saying, I love it. I fucking love it. Because you know why? You know why? It makes me happy because they are saying the exact same shit we were saying in 15 and 16. They are saying the exact same things. Almost word for word, the tone, the cadences are almost identical. All the refs. Oh, Mourinho. Oh, the, the, the young players. He doesn't. His tactics. They're saying the exact same shit. And back in 15 and 16, they were pointing and laughing at us. So now, who has all the jokes? It's us. I love it. And especially that United is, is a rival. It'd be one thing if, if it was happening at Everton or, or somewhere else. But that it's happening to United. I love it. 
that's number one. Number two, uh, who causes for concern over there? I mean, the problem, here's the crazy thing. If you look at United's players, I think their main problem is on defense. Their defense has, is a disaster, and it's been a disaster for a few years now. They need minimum, minimum five new defenders. Three of them have to be brand new starters. I, I don't even I can't even tell you who who should be starting. Who could under a new coach has earned the right to stay there and fight for a position that's a starter right now. Maybe Ashley Young, maybe Valencia, those two have earned, in my opinion, as a as an outsider, looking at it from afar. Say, you know what, those two guys, they've been <clears throat> excuse me, they've been on the team for a long time. They've earned the right to fight. The rest of them, Phil Jones, uh, Chris Smalling. I'm not impressed by Chris Smalling at all. I've never been impressed by Chris Smalling. Uh, who's the else? Rojo is still over there. How the fuck is Rojo still on United? I think it's his, his last name because it's red in Spanish. That's the only reason they signed him and they kept him. Rojo. Uh, <laughs> Luke Shaw. What's happening to Luke? I feel so bad for Luke Shaw, the guy with so much talent and so much promise, and it's just one thing after another, one thing after another that's happened to him, that's preventing him from reaching his level. But Luke Shaw is another one. He he doesn't. I mean, who would you rather have, Marcus Alonso or Luke Shaw? Um, we could, we that's could, an interesting question. We could we you could keep what? going all the way. You can keep going down. How many teams are we gonna go through before you say, okay, I'll take Luke Shaw? You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, like, is Luke Shaw good enough left back to win the Champions League, to go deep into the Champions League? Because that's who United's aspirations should be. In my opinion, that's the way they talk. They talk just like we talk, just like the way Manchester City talk. The only, and, 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 and Liverpool now. They are, we are, com- there's, Four teams, well, now, well, until Arsenal gets back. But really, when Arsenal gets when get, Arsenal gets their shit together, there's five teams at the beginning of every year that go, we need to be in a position to win the Champions League. Whether or not that happens, that's another thing. But we, our aspirations are to legitimately go deep into the Champions League and possibly win it. And that's United, City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Those are the only five teams. Everybody yeah, else, I agree. Everybody else can can pretend that they that those are their aspirations, but they all know. Is Luke Shaw able to go anywhere in Europe and help United win Champions League? Um, I mean, I just want to delve into this because I think Luke Shaw is a really interesting topic, just because of um, there's been a lot of hype around him. Obviously, when he was signed for thirty million from Southampton and. There's all this talk about obviously he's such an effective attacking player from a fullback, and I think that is true. Um, he's got a good cross in him and he can beat a man on the wing, but I think what just his defensive capabilities. And I feel like the first half against Spain at Wembley Sunday are pretty well. What he got the I mean, it was an amazing pass for Rashford for that first goal, but I mean, the way he got spun and let Sal Niguez in behind him for when he got the when they got got their equalizer pretty much a minute afterwards kind of summed up some of his deficiencies yeah. at, in, his term, in terms of his defending. So in terms of winning the Champions Leagues, I mean, no, I don't think he's an elite left-back, but I mean, I feel like that's the least of their problems in terms of 
yeah, I mean, they could do with replacing a left back, but I mean, you're only going to replace maybe what three or four positions are in the transfer window, and Deep. I mean, realistically, they could probably do with replacing seven, but I don't think left back's their priority in terms of replacing. I feel like maybe their problems are more in the midfield, and probably at the base of uh, sorry, the base of their midfield, and obviously, of course, at centre back as well. Yeah, I think they're who, who's their midfield. Um, so the midfield is the former two-time winning Premier League champion, Nemanja Matic, who, for some reason, while Pogba was getting saluted with criticism left and right, nobody seems to be mentioned. Nemanja Matic has completely declined. I mean, his performances have been dreadful. I mean, the performance against West Ham, against Newcastle, I mean, these were dreadful performances. So they've got him, uh, their new signing, Fred, for 40 million, who they signed, and who is now you holding mean, bench for McTominay. You mean fraud? <laughs> so, <laughs> fraud, I mean... Yeah, I mean, Fraud wouldn't be a bad name for him because, I mean, if you're holding bench for McTominay, uh, then, boy, I mean, I don't know what your career is. I mean, he was going from boarding down the Champions League of Shatter Donetsk to holding bench for McTominay. So, um, well, yeah, and then obviously you've got Paul Pogba, um, 85 million, sorry, 90 million pound midfielder, who's, I'm a big fan of in terms of his ability and what he can do, but in terms of how he's performed, he hasn't performed that as consistent, right? But I've always given him a blindness because I feel like he would do so much better in a, certain, in a different system, like, if I'm being honest, my ideal midfield player to play in the Chelsea midfield alongside Jorginho as the mm-hmm. Magista from DM and Kante as the box-to-box centre mid, it was always Paul Pogba as that left CM or the one who's creative. He can obviously defend a bit, but given that little freedom to express himself and play up there with a hazard, with obviously our other attacking players as well, and it's express himself because in this United team where, I mean, you see in the second half against Newcastle, he's playing as a centre-back. <laughs> like, I mean... This isn't what Pogba was born to do. He's not Mm-mm. born to be playing as a deep line playmaker and just spray long 50-yard passes, even though he can do that. He can do that very well. No. He's meant to be able to be a, a freelancer and do what he wants in the final third. But, I mean, under Mourinho, you're not going to be getting that kind of creativity and that kind of license to do that. So we're only going to see him to continue to falter and perform maybe at like two, two games out of five, three games out of five. I'm only going to continue to see that until Mourinho is eventually sat, which I think is an inevitability. Yeah. I I mean, and you asked who who am I most worried about is Polk Pogba. Maybe not so much as like, oh, he's going to score, you know, he's going to score four goals to beat us. No, no, no. But more so his influence in the game. You know, he's the one guy that I always feel like he's a difference maker. He's a difference. He's a playmaker on that team. Um, He's their entire midfield. Yeah, he's their entire midfield. They, they, They don't have Fellaini. Like... How long has Fellaini been, you know, like, I don't even know. Like, like Fellaini has never been, in my opinion, he's never been like somebody that I look at. I'm like, damn. Outside of free kicks and, and, and getting into the box, I don't see Fellaini like, damn, like, shit, there he comes. I'm like, oh, eh, just a guy, you know, another a part of the eleven. It's funny you say that. He's probably the second or third best player this season. I mean, in terms of the goals he can get from the field, like, and that's just—I mean, that's Man United right now in 2018. Fellaini is their second or third best player right now. And and look that, at that—that's a problem. And look at that—he's the second or third best player when he has no business being there. Not with the names on that team. Not with the names on that team. When you have Alexis, when you have Rashford, who, yeah, like he's English. So there's always going to be a hype around an English player. But he could play. In my opinion, he could play. So <clears throat> you have Rashford. You have Anthony Marshall. 
you have Lukaku. You know, these are the names that need to be the best players on your team before you get Fellaini. When Fellaini goes, when you're talking about a Manchester United and Fellaini is the sixth best player on your team, now they're heading in the right direction. The seventh best player on the team, now they're heading in the right direction. Till then, till he's the, while he's the second or third, they will be continue being a dumpster fire. Continue mm-hmm. being a dumpster fire. I'm sorry. And, and just to elaborate on your point, we don't mean he's the best player in terms of his ability. No, we know he's not a very good footballer. It's just in terms of effectiveness and what he's done this season for the past couple of years. I mean, I mean, a game like last season against Arsenal, when I'm at home, when it was Arsenal pretty much dominated with their second string out because they were focusing on the Europa League. And who did they bring on to change the game for them? It was Fellaini. And we've seen him happen, happen so many times where I feel like other than Pogba and maybe even, let's say, Martial, because he's in a little bit of good form, there's only been a couple of games. I probably fit Fellaini more than anyone just because I feel like he can come off the bench or even start and get into the box and then maybe pin himself to an Aspilicueta and try and maybe get some flick on some whatever. Because that's, that's what United have resorted to nowadays. They're yeah. just resorting to a long ball to Fellaini up to his chest. Maybe a little flick on to Lukaku or whatever. And that's it, because I don't really fear Lukaku that much. Rashford, he's very hit and miss. Uh, Alexis Sanchez, I mean, that's a shadow of the guy I thought was an amazing world-class talent at Arsenal. He's a complete shadow of that person. So I don't really fear much in the team. I mean, to be honest, maybe I, I would even maybe put Mata ahead of a lot of those guys I just mentioned because Mata looked very good against Newcastle. Maybe mm-hmm. he's got outside a chance of starting. So And obviously, we all, as Chelsea fans, love Juan Mata. We love our great club. So we appreciate what he's done. And I feel like he's actually someone who could be utilised a lot more. Or maybe not in the Mourinho system, but he's certainly better than a lot of what we've seen so far this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the names that are on that team, that are on that roster that comprise their starting 11 and you see what skills they bring to the table and you look at them you're like shit this could be a team here this could be a team to fear i mean last year when they they came in second but i don't see it i don't i just don't fear them i don't fear them i mean you have sorry has been with the team since what june july what let July or is it June? It had to be July, July like 10th or 11th. And he has us yeah, with, like yeah. with an identity. We're a completely new team. Mourinho's been there since 16, 17. He got, he got sacked with us 15, 16. I don't know. Did they appoint him right away? They appointed him just after Van Gaal won the FA Cup. So they sacked Van Gaal and they appointed him in the same summer. So at the start of that summer, he was yeah, so manager. it would have been 16, start at 16, 17. And what identity do they have? What do they do? What do they do that, that, that's great? I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. There was times. I, I always look at this. This is something that whether or not this should be looked at as uh, as a barometer, as something that really dictates where the team is going. I always look at who you're being linked to, whether or not those players are are are, are factually capable of actually being on your team or of actually capable of being on your team or not. But I look at oh shit. <clears throat> I look at who is linked to your team. Who, 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 like, you have 
they brought in Fred for the midfield. But meanwhile, their midfield is full. What, what about Andrew Herrera? What about him? Meanwhile, they're not sending out guys like Fellaini. Uh, uh, they weren't linked. You have Rashford, Marshall, and Lukaku playing great together. Then they bring Alexis Sanchez in as the highest played play, paid player in the league. What is that? A 29-year-old player? What is that? They're, in the summer, the talk was uh, uh, bringing in William, another 29-year-old player. Why? United's not back, and Chelsea is not back. 100% back. Until we are linked with players that are, A, young. You know, not I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about, you know, w- w- the age bracket of 24 to 27. Those that's where you, in my opinion, where you could tell what more or less where this team is going. Well, who are they bringing in in that age range? Because those are the guys that are entering or either uh, uh, they're entering or they're either in their prime. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I read, I read the internet and Twitter and I'm all over the, 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 the sites for football on my way to look for Chelsea stuff. And I don't see them linked to, a, let's say, an Arcardi-type player. I don't see any of that. I just see negativity, who's leaving, how soon they're being sacked. Mm. And, you know, and that's the state of their club right now. We, but we shall see. I mean, we're all taking this. They're, they're, those guys right now are in bed just like you're in bed right now, sleeping and thinking, and anything can happen from... You know, anything can happen. I mean, this could be, knock on wood, this could be the best times for our team has, has already passed us for this year. And we're just going to, you know, barely scrape into the top four. I don't see that happening. Not the way that we're playing. Not the with the players that we have. And, you know, United could 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 go next level this Saturday and completely turn it around. I, I don't see that happening again. But, you know, we, we shall see. But... I don't, their direction of their club is terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. I don't see it. I think they are about a good two years away. And if they bring in Conte, even longer. If they fuck around and bring in Conte to take over for Jose, it's going to even be longer. Because defensive negative football is a thing of the past. And he's going to continue pushing that. And he's going to fuck them. He's going to make sure that they play three in the back. It's going to be worse. I mean, with our first year with Conte, the, the, the league had never seen three in the back. And so now, Conte comes back in. The whole league has seen three in the back. It was just a couple of months ago where, where, where we had played three in the back. So we're not going to be, nobody's going to be caught off guard in the league with Conte's formation. It's going to be worse. So. Yeah. Um, do you know, one last question I actually have for you is. What's up? What if we were to do a combined eleven of sorts, in terms of what players would you actually take from Man United to put in our eleven? What players would you actually? Well, I know obviously you have a lot for our, our Chelsea players, and you obviously want them all to be well. And I, I know in a way you think that they're all better than United's players, but yeah. if you, you could, what players would you actually want from their team to improve our eleven? Um. Okay, so we'll start in goalkeeper, David De Gea. <sighs> Yeah, of course you want David De Gea over Kepa, not because Kepa's playing bad, but but and not because David De Gea is playing uh, lights out. But 
David De Gea has a history, has a track record that you have confidence that any given day, any given game, he's going to be better than Kepa. Whether or not that's true or not, but he's earned that. He's earned that. So I put him in 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 goal. The back four. I will just say David De Gea has conceded seventy five percent of shots on target. He's I will just throw that in there. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm just going by the track record. David De Gea's track record gives him the nod um, to go over Kepa. Um, mm. yeah, but that's not because Kepa has been playing bad and not because David De Gea has been playing amazing. It's just that David De Gea is, is amongst the conversation of one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now. Top three, whether he's going through a bad spell or not, he's in that conversation. Kepa's just not there yet, even though he's been playing great. So, you know, I would go with, with David De Gea, but, you know, not because Kepa's bad. It's just that, uh, yeah, okay, course. you know, he has a history there. Put put the man in there. Give him a shot. In the back four, not a single one of United, and nobody, nobody on their roster that goes through that building do I want on our team on in defense. Not a single defender. None of them. Midfield, there's only one man. Two guys. I'll take Mata off their team, and I would take Paul Pogba. I would take... Anthony Marshall, I'd start him um, up front, and then I, I, right winger would be the only posi- other position. See, this is where I want to come in, and I've had an interesting thought for a, a little while where I've obviously watched a lot of football from Everton back in the day, and even Belgium at the World Cup where they performed really well against uh, Brazil in a quarterfinal, and one interesting parallel is we saw Lukaku at right wing, and I've always thought, is Mourinho be brave enough to play Lukaku at right wing? Because as weird as it sounds, I mean, a big six foot three target man is striker at right wing. I mean, why would that work? But he isn't really a target man. I feel like he's always been a poacher in a, in a, in a target man's body. He's kind of built this massive physique. But yet, he's got electric pace. Um, he does step overs like he's trying to cross the road. Yes, but <laughs> he does kind of do them to some effect where he does it. He kind of does a player and... Surprisingly, he's got a really good cross in him, which is kind of strange to see a six foot three striker have a really good cross in him. So I feel like he actually would be a pretty effective right winger. And, you know, I agree with all your picks. I would go exactly the same. Uh, Pogba alongside Kante and Jorginho midfield. Would be the best midfield on planet Marsh. Earth. Oh, easily the best midfield on planet Earth. I mean, I already know that the gen- they are literally the generational duo of this gen- of this generation. The best duo I've seen in midfield. I mean, probably better than even Mondrić and Kroos. I mean, I know it's a hard statement to say, but... I feel like what I've seen from Pogba and Kante in midfield in the World Cup, I mean, it was just sensational. So, I mean, with Jorginho behind that, I mean, I don't think you could ever even get close to that midfield at all. And then up front, I would have Martial up front with Hazard roaming in behind and doing what Hazard does, which is just getting collecting man of the match awards on a daily basis. And then I would have Lee Cocker right wing. As crazy as it sounds, I think that would be pretty damn effective. Yeah, I... I don't know. <laughs> Let's just say this. I'll say this. Those are the only players from United that I want on my team. The, other than that, I don't want nobody else. I don't want anybody else. They can keep everybody else. Uh, the, the one person I do feel bad that I'm leaving out, but, hey, it is what it is, is Rashford. But I believe that that if you were to do a combined 11 and you have to compri- you know, put a bench together, I just feel like Rashford is taking it is 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 impeding Callum Hudson Odoi's uh uh 
he's stifling his growth, so I wouldn't want him, but I would feel bad from from not taking him. But other than that, it's Lukaku, Marshall, um, Mata, Pogba, David De Gea. And those are the only five players I would want from United. Everybody else, keep them. And the only one I would feel bad for is Rashford. I say, I'm sorry, my man. I'm sorry. But everybody else, fuck them. So. Indeed. Yep. Anyways, my man, uh, you got anything else? Predictions. Predictions. Um, talk to me. Predictions. Predictions. How do you see Saturday ending? Hmm. I mean, again, as I said at the start, very, very start of this podcast, I'm feeling very confident, almost a bit eerily too confident. But, I mean, you've been just going off of recent form, right? So, obviously, Mourinho, I mean, just to go into a little bit deeper into this, Mourinho, since he's been there, it's pretty, in the league, it's been 2-2. Two and two. Um, they won the home games and we won uh, our home games. So, okay, fair enough. But before that, we hadn't lost against Man United in 13 games in all competitions, winning eight of those games. So, we've actually had a really, really exceptional record against Man United, all things considered. Uh, but the last time we lost against them at home was back in 2012, which, I mean, that's when we won the Champions League. What an amazing year that was. But, mm-hmm. And that's when I think Hernandez scored, and I believe he scored in a... Well, I mean, Hernandez was always a problem against us. So, yeah, I mean, and that's a long time we've gone since losing against them. Obviously, there was a, two games recently at Old Trafford, but again, obviously, those games aside, and I feel that was suited Mourinho because he was playing against Conte, where they're two kind of similar pragmatic managers, and I feel like with Mourinho's in-game management, he's always kind of going to have the upper hand on someone like a Conte. I'll be in the FA Cup final, as you saw, but now going all forward to Saturday, and again, sorry, again, with the systems that they play, even if Mourinho tries to go for it, I feel like trying to play out the back with Smalling and potentially McTominay or Bailly or Lindelof, these guys aren't amazing on the ball, especially if I see Phil Jones anywhere in that back line. Oh, God, he's going to get eaten up. <laughs> Days! But, I mean, I see imagine Phil those guys Jones in the back five. <laughs> And one of his stupid name faces, oh my God. But I mean, just imagine those guys when I play through a high press from us. I mean, I don't see it. I mean, that's, for me, their main problem is their build up from the back with their defenders. I mean, that's their main problem. It's so rigid. It's so predictable. It's so bad that it just forces errors on their midfield when it gets to a Pogba and he tries to take too many, too much of a risk. Like, that's the problem that they're having. So I feel like if they do cry and go for it, we're going to, we're going to catch them slipping and we're going to probably put three or four past them. Um, if they go for the more regimented approach, it's going to take us a bit of time to break them down. I thought I put up a good fight, but in the end, once we go a goal up, which I think we will go and they have to try and open up a little bit. I thought that's when the floodgates were really open. And I, I eventually see this going as a three, no for us, uh, two goals for Hazard and one, you know, I've given them a lot of stick on the podcast and in general, but I'm going to be nice and say Marata comes off the bench and gets a header. Yeah. I'll say he comes off the bench and gets a header from my Aspilla Quetta cross. Why not? He yeah. gets a header from my Aspilla Quetta cross. Yeah. So 3 0 for us. And yeah, I don't see United getting any. Definitely not a win. Absolutely not. And shitting house in their way to a draw. Nah, I don't see it. I think we're going to stay unbeaten and we're going to stay top of the table. Yeah. I, I think. The most, the, the, I don't see them getting a victory. I don't see United getting a victory. No way in hell they come out of three points unless the unthinkable happens. Uh, you know, the ball takes a weird bounce, something, something, something. But a, like a legit play where 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 they're outplaying us. Okay, how about this? I see zero chance for them them outplaying us. I see. A better chance, but doubtful, highly doubtful that they beat us. I see a possibility that they pack 10 in the box and they 
do everything in their power to come out with one point. But ultimately, I do see us winning this game. I don't. I, I think it's going to be a, a clean sheet. 2-0, 3-0, something like that. I, may, shit, maybe even a 1-0, but nothing crazy. I don't see another 4-0, us hanging four on them uh, like we did uh, with Conte. Um, but I just don't see them beating us. I don't see, I, I see no way in hell they outplay us. That, I, I cannot see it. Um, and for them to, I don't see them beating us. I just don't. I think we, we, I think, I think we're playing four or five levels above them. The way we move the ball around, the way they can't move the ball around. Just our midfield alone. I mean, we are having a tough time coming up with who they put in their midfield. Hell, we're having a tough time. Why the hell is Mourinho putting five guys in the back? When in his career has he put five guys in the back? And now all of a sudden he's pulling it out of his ass? At least with Conte, you can say, hey, he has experience with this formation. But Mourinho, what does he know about five in the back? I'm sure he knows a lot, but that's not that's not some that's that's not a formation that he he's he he has shown that he's uh familiar with. Mm. But now he has United playing five in the back when he's not even known for that. What the hell is that? Who I mean it's doing? interesting because um they actually tried it a little bit in the preseason and I think they actually tried it against Liverpool when they got slapped in preseason, but I thought other than that, they actually looked good with it, but then they didn't revert back to it. And a lot of fans were complaining about oh why not go for it? Why not try three at the back? But I mean, there's a reason, there's a big difference between three in the back and five in the back. And I guess West Ham, it was literally five flat across the back without pressing forward. So you're always going to be pinned back. So it'll be interesting to see what they actually do. But he has tried it and it hasn't really worked. So I mean, I guess nothing's really worked for them this season. So it'll be interesting to see what Mourinho comes up with. I think one thing we can guarantee is Mourinho will, will come up with something. Managers like him and Pep Guardiola in these games where they're kind of backs against the wall. They will always come up with something and they will have some sort of plan, which is why it's going to be interesting from a tactical point of view. But again, we should still have far, far, far too much for them. Yeah, no, I I, I think we're just going to be superior to them. And and uh, and that's it. I mean, I, I see us with a victory. I see us with a victory and us staying on the top of the table, you know, right up there. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. I really, 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 really believe our first true test is coming December 8th against City. That is going to tell us everything we need to know. These games in between now, Tottenham. You think I'm worried about Tottenham in November? If we're just now seeing what, what we're capable of, what do you think we're going to be in December, in November, at the end of November? I mean, Tottenham couldn't. Tottenham, the best thing that could have happened to Tottenham is they played. If if we had played them, if they had played us during the Arsenal game, I think then they had a good chance. But now, mm. mm mm, mm mm, I I think our first real game, our first real game, of course Liverpool. I think our second. I should this, our second real team that we're playing with a real test is. Manchester City on December 8th. After that, nope. I don't see it. I don't see it. So, Dan, Daniel, anything else you want to tell the millions and millions of people around the world? Um, hi. 
<laughs> no, no, no. A bit more than that. Um, in fact, I would say Video Tom would be a pretty good test. No, okay. All joke aside, um, I mean, it was just a lovely pleasure to be on the the podcast once again. Um, I know I wasn't the first one to be the second time, but hopefully I can be the first to be on three times potentially. Um, so we'll see you in the future. But obviously, a pleasure talking it up, chopping it up. Obviously, with the UFC talk, the Chelsea talk. And I'll be happy to come on anytime, bro. Anytime. Just give me a bell and I'll be on. Uh, and, and you're always welcome. You know the keys under the mat for you. Anytime you want to come on, you're always on. And uh, you, you, you're rarefied air, my man. Rarefied air. There's only been two people to come on to the show twice. And uh, and I, I think that you, you have an excellent chance, just as good as anybody, better chance than anybody to come on to the show three times. So... Let's see. Maybe I'll talk to some. Maybe I could talk to the right people, uh, you know, behind the scenes at the All American Chelsea podcast to get you on uh, three times, my man. Uh, yeah, where can they find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's a four, the digit four word thinking digit one. It sounds a lot more complicated than it really is, but it's just four spelled with a digit four word thinking than digit one. <laughs> And I made it sound a lot more complicated than it really was. No, no, no. Your Twitter handle is very easy. And I'll have the link in the description if they want to follow you on uh, on Twitter and where to find you. Um, now, oh, sweet, sweet. I've been told that you consider yourself a okay FIFA player. If anybody would like to test your gangster on PS4, and luckily for you that you're on PS4 and you're not on Xbox... So I can give you the smoke to wax that ass, luckily for you. But if anybody wants to test your gangster in FIFA 19, where can they find you on the PlayStation Network? So my PSN is uh, DDA underscore NRG 14. And it's a real blessing that we're not on the same consoles because I don't think I would be ever getting a chance to become on any podcast or anything at all after the, the smoke that would be delivered firmly towards uh, your, you over, over the pond. But um, yeah, it's a blessing that you're on the Xbox. Uh, I hope you enjoy your, your FIFA 19 uh, experience. Because yeah, if you came over to these waters, yeah, we'll be getting a few broken discs out there. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's worked out for the best, my friend. It's worked out for the best. It's actually for the best. It's for the best that the lion and the tiger never meet. Yes. And- so... All right, my man, That uh, that's the end of the interview. All right, everybody, welcome back to the to the end of the... Well, welcome back. That was uh, the homie Daniel, and we got into a lot of things, man. We got into the UFC talk, Ross Barkley talk. We got into everything. Preview for this weekend's game, and I'm so excited. I, can, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to play United. This has been a game circled on my calendar from the beginning. Um, Once I saw how well we were playing and how shit they were playing and how much of a dumpster fire that team is, I couldn't be more excited for this game. And I I just don't, I, I don't see them outplaying us. I really, really don't. Um, I got to get going. Everybody's starting to wake up. My house is starting to come alive. I usually wake up like 5 in the morning every day. And my wife and son are sleeping uh, up until like around this time. So that's the end of the podcast, everybody. I will be coming back to you this weekend 
with my match review um after a certain ass whooping we're gonna put on united uh and i can't wait i already got a guest lined up uh for the match review it should be interesting um it should be real interesting it's a, a united somebody from the united uh uh, Twitterverse, and uh, it should be should be real interesting. It's funny. I'm like, like I'm sitting here, and I know a majority of us are sitting here confident as hell, cocky as hell, and we could <laughs> be on Sunday morning wake up or what? Fuck! It's after the game on Saturday, looking up like, what the fuck happened? How did we play so badly? How? It could, I mean, anything can happen. It, oh, you know what it is? Is in anything that I do, no matter what, I'm always ultra confident as if there isn't another outcome, right? And then another outcome happens, and I'm like, how the hell did that happen? How did I not see me losing or see somebody losing or my team losing? How the hell did that happen? It, it, it. But you know what? It, it, it's just par for the course for me. Like, it's nothing to look like an asshole after I've been so confident. <laughs> it's nothing. It's just part of it. So that's all I got uh, for this episode. Enjoy the rest of your day. Whenever you're hearing this, hopefully it's before the United match. Um, could be. Well, I mean, yeah, you could after United match, you can listen to this, see what we got right, what we got wrong. Um, that'd be interesting. So that's all I got. Um, again, thank you to my homie Daniel. Please follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's his Twitter handle is shit. Let me pull it up here. Give me a quick second. Um, oh. Okay, so it's the number four W A R D T H I N T. K-I-N-G-1. That's it. Forward Thinking 1. Follow him on Twitter, please. Uh, if you're not following me, I'm on Twitter at AllAmericanCFC. I'm on Instagram, AllAmericanChelsea. I've said it before, but I'm really taking the social media game serious. Um, I'm just taking the whole shit a little bit more serious, a little bit more focused, a lot more focused. Uh, bought my domain name. All American Chelsea. The website's gonna be coming soon. I'm using Squarespace. I've decided on using Squarespace. I had heard about. I've been familiar with Squarespace, and then I was like, "Oh, let me check out Wix because my wife built a badass website for her business using Wix." Then I read something, or I heard about something that the I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Know. Either way, I'm using Squarespace. So anybody, any nerd out there, web developer wants to you know if they're interested about that shit that's what i'm going to be using squarespace so that should be coming soon um what else is coming i gotta go on a diet i gotta i do this every year so i generally like to be around 200 i'm a big dude six foot and i wouldn't say super muscular but the boy's got some size on him but I fluctuate. I go between 200, 215 at my biggest, which I'm right now. I'm like 230, 235 to be exact. Okay, I'm lying. 238, but don't tell anybody. So 
I like to stay around 200. And I'm huge right now. So I'm about to start my keto diet. I did it a few years ago when I was really big. I was at 240. And it got all the way down to 189. And I was really just just cooking. I it, Nothing, no car. Oh, there's my son. That's the end of the podcast. Go, going on a keto diet. That's the end of the podcast. The boy's waking up. So enjoy the rest of your day. I love you. Um, ready or not, United, the boys in blue are coming. And then goddamn thing you could do about it. My match prediction, 3-0 us, 2-0. Either way, we're, we're getting those three points. I love you. I'll talk to you guys soon. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Have a great day. Later. No stones. Jimmy Choo. That's on you. Diamonds on my neck. Closing tears. Hopping out the jet. Leers. Is getting wet here. Yes, don't call me till the checks clear. Fuck, they ain't talking about fast talk, running laps. Now I'm not playing it. Shit, fresh vanilla sipping on, lid just picking up. Hong Kong, Morocco, I'm here. No stylish, now I ain't playing with these bitches. They childish, yeah. Look around, they quiet. She said, I ain't got no heart, bitch. Find it. I style. No stylish. No Chanel. St. Laurent. Gucci bag. I style. No stylish. Louboutin. Jimmy Choo. That's on you. High. Diamonds on my neck. Frozen tears. Hopping out the jet. Leers. Bad bitches getting wet. Here. Yes. Don't call me till the check's clear. I got the game in a squeeze. Who disagree? I wanna see one of y'all run up a beat. Yeah, two open seats, we flying at seven and pep at the beach. Yeah, keeping a G, I told her don't win no three fifties round me. I style, no stylish. No Chanel, Nike track, doing roll with some waps. And that's Capo in the back, and that's Swo in the back. Don't need Gucci on my back, TV Gucci got my back. Don't know where y'all niggas at. I been here, I been back, in the lala, word of sack. I need action, that's a fact. I style, no stylish. No Chanel, Saint Laurent, Gucci back. I style, no stylish. Louboutin, Jimmy Choo, that's on you, huh? Diamonds on my neck, frozen tears. Hopping out the jet, leers. Bad bitches getting wet here. Yeah, don't call me till the checks clear. I style, no stylish. No Chanel, Saint Laurent, Gucci bag. I style, no stylish. Louboutin, Jimmy Choo, that's on you. No stylish. Oh, mm-hmm.